Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Peyton, non-attorney spokesperson. Janelle and Associates Law Firm with Principal Office in Houston, Texas is responsible for the content of this ad. Attention all active or retired military. If you are diagnosed with tinnitus or hearing loss after using yellow and black or yellow and olive dual-ended earplugs, you may be entitled to significant cash compensation. These earplugs permitted damaging sounds to enter the ear canal. If you served in the military and were later diagnosed with hearing loss or tinnitus, call 800-871-7344 right now to see if you qualify for significant cash compensation. The manufacturer knew of the defect but did not warn its customers. Complaints alone that the manufacturer manipulated test results to make it appear that the plugs met government standards. If you deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan anytime from 2003 through 2015 and are now suffering from diagnosed hearing loss or tinnitus, you may be entitled to significant cash compensation. Call 800-871-7344 right now. Hurry, time is limited. Call 800-871-7344 now to see if you qualify for cash compensation. Call 800-871-7344. That's 800-871-7344. 800-871-7344. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined by my north, by northeast, by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon Howard Thurston, how are you today? I'm, I'm wonderful, Loki. You said the name right. My day is even better. Yeah, you 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 complained last week that when we talked to Mr. Dave Lagana, or as as he's sometimes affectionately known, Mr. Dave Lasagna, that um, in fact I, I called you Brandon Thurston Howard. And on the Patreon only uh, bonus episode as well. Yes, that is true. So. Uh, so I, I got it right by just looking at my Skype window and actually physically saying what is what is there in the window. So that works out better. Yeah. Uh, how rich are you today? Have you won a lot of matches since I talked to you last? I haven't participated in any massive matches since we talked last. Um, I might be facing Mikey every night in a who knows what death match uh, on, on November 25th. Oh, I, I do have uh, some booking stuff coming up. I think we discussed it last time. There's a, there's a show that Santino is going to be on on November 4th in Jamestown that I'm on. I don't think Jim Cornette will be there, fortunately. Tell me, you, you said a death match. Do you mean like, is this going to be like a Texas death match, where it just means false count anywhere in the building? Or do you mean death match, death match like we're going to have mouse traps and uh, <laughs> pin uh, push pins? Be careful. You're going you're to give him ideas. Uh, yet to be determined. He has to. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I have uh, put the, I cut a promo, I put the message out there, and he has to reply. Nice. Well, uh, I I will advocate a um, collection of W pop cans will be my my suggestion. Oh man, because they're super loud, but they probably won't hurt at all to bump in. They might though, because like an aluminum can, you know, they bend and they can get that really sharp point on them. I know, it's scary. Wow. It's a good thing I'm not a wrestler anymore. Jeez. Uh, we wanted to talk about a hodgepodge of things. Last week we had a great interview with Dave Lagana. And then for our patrons, who can you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Russellnomics. Sign up at any level and you can get the 90 minutes of bonus chatter that we had last week where we covered a lot of cool topics, including some legal updates and uh, some other you know news of the world. But uh, 
what we are going to talk about today, I think, to start us off was the the recent developments around Neville and what's been happening with him. Uh, I have actually been traveling a lot this week. I went to yeah. Boca Raton for a a couple uh, days, and it was funny because when I went to and Chicago, that's in Florida, right? It is. And when I was in Chicago, I tweeted out a picture saying I'm on a boat and somebody sent me a message and was like, hey, you know, I work right by there. And so I met him up and we talked for a while. So I was in Boca Raton. I posted a picture being like, hey, this is pretty. And someone sent me a note. They're like, I live in those apartments right across from uh, where you took a picture there. You know, Vince McMahon lives across from me. <laughs> really? So, yeah, I could have been meeting with Vince if uh, he had taken time off to go to Boca Raton. Well, he probably never does. It's probably just a constantly pro- vacant uh, apartment or something. Yeah, maybe I could have seen that out—the uh, big dog from the uh, the Sports Illustrated pictures. So wait, when you were in Chicago, you just met a WrestleNomics fan? I did. He was oh, wow. a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Oh wow, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, it was really great. We had a good conversation. Uh, hopefully, I'm not uh, uh, revealing too much of my inside sources, my sources of the sources. But yeah, no, it was great. We had a good conversation. So, but uh, so I missed a lot of wrestling news this week because I was so busy traveling and flying. I had to get I had a five a.m. flight, so I had to get up at like three in the morning to get out there, and just a heck of a day. So I've been only hearing a lot of this stuff peripherally. So I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. But what is the story with Neville? Well, Neville, uh, he walked out of Raw on Monday. They did a show-closing segment where Kalisto beat Enzo Amore for the Cruiserweight title. There's some talk that Neville was supposed to be involved in that match, or Neville was supposed to wrestle Enzo maybe in that final segment. And possibly lose to Enzo in that final segment, too, though, right? Right. right. But he uh, apparently left the building. Maybe some talk that some people tried to stop him, but they could not stop him. He left the building, and news broke about it the following day on Tuesday. And... Do we know what, uh, besides, you know, the, the push of Enzo Amore over Neville, who had been the Cruiserweight champion for some time and had really revitalized his career with WWE during that time, uh, do we know what else he might be upset about or, or annoyed with? Probably not being on the WrestleMania DVD that would give him royalties. Of course, we're, we're now here in the, the post-pay-per-view royalties era where, you know, Previously, wrestlers who appeared on pay-per-views would get, you might know more about this than I do, would get an additional pay-per-view bonus for appearing on the pay-per-view. And now that pay-per-view has been diminished down to next to nothing, and all the pay-per-views are largely being watched on the network, there are no more pay-per-view royalties, right? But there are DVD royalties, but you have to be on the DVD and not be on like the pre-show or be left off of the DVD because the, the show is so long, as in the case of WrestleMania 33 where he wrestled Austin Aries, and the, apparently the match was left off the DVD. So regarding whether or not wrestlers get royalties on pay-per-view buys, um, we haven't seen a contract in a couple of years now, so it's hard for me to judge what current contracts say. My belief is that most people that have a current contract are not at all in a state where they're getting pay-per-view royalties. Now, if you're someone who's been with the company for a very long time, like a Mark Henry or a Randy Orton or a John Cena or even The Undertaker, I wouldn't be surprised if they have some clauses from their old, old contracts that have carried through and they still get, you know, 10, you know, a small percentage of the royalty pool from whatever's left in pay-per-view buys. Now, it's pretty small for most pay-per-views, but I'm sure for WrestleMania, it's a hunk of change. And then when you're a top guy like that, you know, I'm sure it's a percentage of that chunk of change. So so So, you're saying there's a time at which they they took the pay-per-view royalties out of the contracts? 
I would have to look more carefully at the Steph McMahon contract, which I think is the most recent one that's ever been published, and just see exactly. It's pretty clear in that one that they don't want to give you WWE Network royalties, and so it seemed like they were backing away from a lot of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the, the meanwhile, since they've launched the network, they just kind of killed the whole language about the royalty pool from pay-per-views. But um, it's also possible that you know they just left it in, and it is a small diminishing return. I think the thing that's bigger for most of these guys is more than even the royalties themselves, there is a payment scheme that someone goes with your position on the card. And I remember Lance Storm talking about back in the mid-2000s when he did a heat at a big WrestleMania where they treated that like that was a heat even though he was there at WrestleMania. And he was pretty annoyed that, you know, I didn't get paid like I went to WrestleMania. I got paid like I I performed on heat, as I recall. So I I do think they, in their own minds, have made the decision before that, you know, they will treat certain matches as if they're not actually on the main pay-per-view card. And guys guys do get paid less. And I think that, you know, there's a strong possibility that if you are frustrated already with your push, frustrated already with your – a uh, lot in life that, you know, you this could be the sort of thing that would just annoy you. And, of course, Austin Aries also decided pay, to leave the company. Be real quick about pay-per-view royalties, if I recall some Jim Ross stories, right? Like those, the, the bonuses, the amount of the bonuses are just sort of subjectively decided by someone like a, a Jim Ross or, or whoever is in his similar position. I mean, if you're saying that they, there's no bonuses at all anymore anyway, but that those were just subjective Oh, decisions. I'm not saying there's no, no bonuses anymore. Yeah. Um, I think... I think, you know, guys are still paid on their position on the card. And then I think equivalently, their royalties are ba- based on their proportion of the time they're on there and the position on the card. So, yeah, there's a lot of subjectivity, though. They've, they've, there's been a lot of complaints before. And that, that uh, maybe, maybe that's a decision that's being left to Paul Levesque because he's the vice president of talent and all that. It might be Levesque. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a guy under Levesque, uh, you know, more like a, a talent guy that Mark that's Carano. his job. Yeah, like a, a Carano or even just like maybe Levesque just has a right-hand man, some, you know, financial nerd whose job it is to to do a lot of this. And Levesque is the one I'm sure signs off on it. But I'm sure it's – what my guess is there's a formula that they've kind of ba- dropped to to say this is mid-tier, this is top-tier, this is bottom. And then they just go very close to those numbers most of the time. Um you know, somebody asked me, uh, and we'll get to this at the end of the show as well, but, you know, what would you do if you could see all the WWE information? Yeah. And one of the things that I would probably go to is I would be fascinated to build an economic model around is there rationality in the way that they pay guys? You know, did they – is there actually – do you see the examples of bias? Do what, what are the factors that seem to change the way that guys get paid? I did a big study one time on the WCW contract files that were released in the um, – the racial discrimination lawsuit where I tried to figure out, could I come up with formulas to figure out how much guys were worth? Cause you would have some guys who signed for $165,000 and then you would have somebody else who'd signed for $400,000. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, what were those X factors that were changing the value of what a guy would sign for? And one of the biggest X factors I found was usually how many years did they do in the WWE? And so, you know, if you're the Ray, if you're Ray Trailer and you're coming off a WWE run, you would get a better deal or Davey Boy Smith versus um, maybe if you were even the Berserker or someone like John Nord and you, you know, hadn't really been on WWE TV in a long time. But it wasn't necessarily commensurate with, you know, whether you're a star or not a star or how many matches you worked. But a lot of it had to do more with uh, how recently were you in the WWE and for how many years. Which so I would bolds well for that WWE narrative of they just stole all our stars. 
Well, they paid to pay, steal all our stars. I think well, it yeah, would bode yeah. well for that narrative, which is to say, why did they want it? Why did, you know, Earthquake and everyone else want to switch over? Well, they got paid well. So, you know, it, it made sense at the time. But what I was saying earlier was Austin Aries, his opponent from WrestleMania, also has quit the company this year. And uh, you, you could say, you know, going back to WrestleMania time, both Austin Aries and, and uh, Neville kind of seemed like they were at the best place in their life when it came to WWE pushes. Yeah. And so it's kind of amazing that both of them might be done. Well, I mean, Aries is done and that Neville could be done soon. Um, what Do we know more about what, what made Aries just want to get out? I, I don't know much without looking into it further other than he was also unhappy about being left off of the DVD. He had been doing commentary at the time and he was sort of left at a place where they didn't know what else to do with him, and he, so he just asked for his release. But he's already done with his release. He can be right. back on the indies again, he, right? He was Has... released on July 7th, so his 90-day non-compete should be up a couple weeks ago, about October 5th. So he should be able to, if he wants to, I don't know if he's still wanting to be involved in professional wrestling as a wrestler, but if he wants to, he should be free to wrestle wherever he wants. I mean, he's 39, so he's 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 definitely old. Um, from a, you know, get signed to a WWE standpoint again. Yeah. But um, his last match, it looks like he did the Japan tour um, where he wrestled Neville and Tozawa. And then right after the Japan tour was his last show. So that was July 1st and, and July, June 30th that he did the 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 shows in Tokyo. So it, it, I, I don't see any record that he has yet wrestled. But uh, I'd have to believe he's pretty close to, you know, showing up somewhere in the Indies because coming off a run like that and kind of revitalizing his name and his reputation after years in TNA and everything else, I think, you know, he he would be a good indie uh, uh, catch at this moment because he's a smart guy, likes to work and and is is good at working still as long as his injuries haven't caught up with him too bad. Yeah, you could see him doing at least a short run in Ring of Honor and or TNA. All I know is that I typed in Austin Aries to the news on Google, and it just comes up with a story. Austin Aries finally explains why he carried a banana around in his pocket. So it's, we'll, we'll discuss that next week. I'll put that on the chart. Yeah, it looks like um, his first uh, show is actually going to be for Tommy Dreamer's company. Oh, for House of Hardcore. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. That's where he'll be uh, in uh, November, probably. So. Do we want to talk about House of Hardcore? Is uh, is that going to be the one that's on Twitch on November eighteenth? Yeah, uh, exactly. So okay, that's um, the one's going to be that... live on Twitch. Yeah, so kind of like uh, what we've seen with both Russell Circus and now with AAA uh, House of Hard- Hardcore, Tommy Dreamers kind of ECW nostalgia promotion, which is you know moved kind of beyond just being old ECW guys. Um, looks like it's going to be available for people to to watch. I assume for free live. Do we know anything more about that? They're going to do weekly content as well, I think starting sometime around November. What we don't know is that whether it's – is there an ad revenue share? Are they just – is House of Hardcore getting into this just because of the uh, the idea of the tips fans can give as they watch a show? I was talking to somebody about you know AAA's model in doing this and why they wanted to do it. And what was interesting is they were saying that you know to watch the replays, you might have to, to pay or, or tip – to get that content sometimes. So some of it is live, it's free, but then if you want to watch it again later, it's not necessarily free. And so that's one way is you can get kind of the VOD money. Not that I think something like that would have enormous VOD, you know, potential that people would be just spending tons and tons of money. And then I'm sure it's a proof of concept if you have any investors out there or other people that think that they might want to pick this up. And then additionally, like you said, there is some ad share revenue, and I'm sure it's a good platform. I mean, it will get me to 
think about watching a house of hardcore show that I would never, ever, ever spend my own time or money normally doing seeking it out, but seeing it live, I I think live content has an enormous draw. And even for me, I would be like, okay, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to see what's happening. I'm going to see if there's going to be any, you know, crazy promos or, or good matches going on. So, um, you know, as great as, as PWG shows are, I think that they are limiting themselves a little bit by the fact that there's a group of fans like me that don't bother to seek something out after it's over, but will tolerate almost anything while it's live. So it'll be interesting to see uh, whether or not something like House of Hardcore. Especially if you can get, you know, a, a community of people on Twitter to tweet about it live and interact with each other. You can sustain some modicum of an audience that way. Absolutely. I mean, Twitter, Twitter is a double edged sword, though, because uh, Twitter, Instagram, that can get you uh, fired for all we know with Jimmy Jacobs, right? He posted a picture of himself posing with with the Young Bucks and I believe Cody and Marty Skrull are in there, too. He posted that himself on Instagram, on his own Instagram account, a picture of on September 25th. There you go. So that's what is what is that in relation to the Monday? That would have been this is the Monday, Monday, September 25th. Yeah. This is the Monday where the Young Bucks invade in Ontario, California. The Raw is in Ontario, California, and the Young Bucks do their big invasion angle on the, and they tape it for being the elite. Uh, so Jimmy Jacobs took a picture with them. I guess he had been fired about a week ago, but the news only broke. I believe it was on Wednesday, that uh, and supposedly came from Vince himself. Vince fired him, and uh, he's an employee. He's not a contractor, right? He's a writer, so he should be free to go wherever he wants immediately. Yeah, I would think that um, there would be no reason that he would have it unless there's some kind of benefits related to, you know, he was terminated, you get two week notice, and then your benefits run out or whatever that timing is. Mm -hmm. So that would be the only thing is as an employee, if he did get some kind of medical coverage, um, it's kind of up to him to decide whether he's going to do something that would impair his ability to terminate his time with the company. Um, And and then there's all sorts of disagreement about, well, how much was the the photo a factor there's you know people say that he was on thin ice already there's others they dave Meltzer said that it was it wasn't just the straw that broke the camel's back it was the 400 pound dumbbell that broke the camel's back or something like that but yeah again i guess uh i, I really wonder you know what are w executives what is their sentiment towards the young bucks right now is it is it really a lot of they have a lot of bad feelings towards towards the young bucks and i know there was talk about how the young bucks uh, were invited by 2k or at least they wanted the young bucks to come down and do motion capture because the young bucks apparently are such popular creator wrestlers in the game that they wanted to have their moves that they do in in the game and maybe the young bucks are the only ones who can really provide that motion capture for the type of stuff that they do in the ring so maybe just stuff like that starting to irk WWE. Like you're, you're getting over and you're, you're getting attention from our partner here and you're not, we don't own you. We, we don't own your intellectual property. And we know how Vince McMahon and WWE can be about that. Well, or even flip it around. You're using our intellectual property and to get over is what, you know, WWE's telling them is that you're using ours. That's why they had the whole cease and desist letter, right? With the yeah. two suite yeah. and the super kick, that sort of thing. So I, I think there's that element too. I don't think Vince McMahon. And there was a comment too, if you didn't hear from, I guess uh, Rowan Reigns did an interview somewhere and he mentioned, he didn't mention the Bucks by name, but he said something to the effect of, we don't need people who come out and do the DX thing. We, we need people who are, basically he said, we need people who are original and who can be stars and get over and who aren't just copying stuff from the past. Yeah. And I, do I think Vince McMahon could pick the Young Bucks out of, you know, the 185 or the, the 205 live crew? No. You know, he, I think by now he can. Who knows with Vince? You know, there's a lot of people out there. But my point is what Vince 
knows is what people tell him, right? So people tell him there's these guys out there making money, being popular, making fun of your product, and they're using your RIP and they're acting like DX. Now, is that the truth of what exactly is happening? Is that a legal encapsulation? Probably not. There's a lot more to the story than that. But that's what Vince is told. So Vince is annoyed with them. And he's and then what he hears is, hey, one of your writers was hanging out with these guys and, in fact, took a picture with them and was wearing their shirt. So, of course, Vince is going to blow his gasket if someone feeds that to him. And, you know, considering how political all of wrestling is, who's to say it wasn't fed even in a direction by someone who doesn't, you know, that wants Jimmy's spot or didn't like Jimmy's ideas or whatever. So I, I get that, yes, it's easy to vilify them as just being like, this is complete payback. I can just see a very busy man like Vince McMahon who just doesn't care (laughs) and doesn't want to know. And then hearing this, of course he's going to blow his lid. They fired one of the Highlanders for going to a TNA taping, right? So it's like they they just – they hate the fact that something is being done that makes them look like they're incompetent. And they hate the fact that, that, um, you know, they feel like it's a slight to them. And so, yeah, could it be handled better? Absolutely. Could you, you know, suspend a guy? Uh, You know, why did Titus O'Neil get suspended for – was it 90 days for grabbing Vince McMahon? I have my own theory about it, which is it has more to do with kicking the swerve to cameraman uh, than anything else. But – you know, it, it says that sometimes there's harsh punishments. And did Jimmy Jacobs need to be fired over this? Probably not. It's not a real fireable offense. But the reality is, is that when you're a writer, uh, you know, if they love you, they love you. If they don't love you, then you're always at risk. So it's it's not surprising to me. I think it's smart that Jimmy Jacobs, you know, already put a T-shirt out joking about it, knowing that the Bucks made their money off their T-shirt doing it. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure it was a big dream for him to get to where he was. And it's disappointing. But uh, there's never you can never say never here, right? You yeah. think of how many times a guy like Fit Finley's been uh, uh, gone up and down the chain because of of things that have changed with his life. So y- you can't say that you're ever done forever. And maybe you know maybe he was a good fit. Maybe he wasn't a good fit anymore in that exact environment he was in. Yeah, I think that's the question now. Is like, does he go right to a Ring of Honor, or does he end up, you know, wait until things cool down and get rehired after a little while? I don't know. I know uh, there's a. a Tom Cassiello, who's a former writer for WWE, I think he's one of the uh, more established writers who no, no longer works for WWE, but did while Jimmy Jacobs was there. And he did a long tweet thread putting him over, talking about what a good job he did, how he was you know, very passionate right from the, uh, the interview. And then once he got there, he worked with talent really well. And I, it's pretty obvious that he worked with talent really well immediately because he knew a lot of the talent because he'd worked with them and was very friendly with people like probably Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn who knew him from the Indies. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind is that Jimmy Jacobs is 33 now. So he's hardly an old man. He hasn't wrestled since 2015, according to what I'm seeing here. So since March of 2015. So he's been out of the ring for two and a half years in theory. So he he has the opportunity to come back. But I mean, as you can, you develop as a person, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these people kind of want to reevaluate where they are in life at this point and say, hey, wasn't it nice to, you know, go be an insurance agent or do something else? And it doesn't mean that you're turning your back on wrestling, but sometimes you just want to uh, address your world in a different way after you've kind of made it all the way up. It's tough for guys sometimes post WWE to try to decide you want to start over again. Yeah. And so all this stuff, I guess we should talk about maybe the uh, the Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega promo that happened uh, the other night. 
here in Buffalo, which I wasn't there for. But you video. were not there for it. It was I, right there in your backyard. I know. I, I considered it. I looked at the card, and it's probably the one and only time that you're going to be able to get to see Minoru Suzuki here in Buffalo, New York. But I pass it up. I don't know what I. And was even thinking. Kenny Omega is getting yeah. tough to to oh, see yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, I looked at the card and I was like, man, maybe I should go. But I, I think it was sold out any, anyway. And But anyway, the, the show ended with the Young Bucks cutting a promo and making a bunch of allusions to all the stuff that's going on with WWE. Uh, Matt Jackson got on the microphone and said that he loves the Ring of Honor because they, they don't send him the cease and desist letter. He said, you think that because you own a billion-dollar company, you can take some silly hand gesture away from me? You're not taking it away from me. You're taking it away from every one of them. And he, he's referring to the fans. Well, unfortunately, the fans are not going to be the one that are going to pay the legal bills or litigate this one. So, you know, they're 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 uh, they got to deal with the lawyers. That's for sure. And like I say, I don't think this is a Vince McMahon crusade. I think this is a other people in WWE and then Vince McMahon gets the synopsis from them. And so he believes what he's going to believe. And they know how to stoke Vince's fears, concerns, and, you know, general dislike of lawyers, general dislike of talent just going off and doing things. And his huge dislike of what he feels someone making a buck off his back. No pun intended. But I, th- I think whatever the uh, intent, intention is or awareness is of Vince McMahon, regardless of what, what that is, they're making the Young Bucks bigger stars here because they're, so, you know, I think as Joey Ryan said on Twitter, like they're selling for the young bucks. They're by they're giving them attention by making them sort of an adversary. Even if the young bucks aren't really as bothered as they show, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And even if WWE isn't as bothered as maybe you could speculate that they are, the young bucks can still do a promo like this at an end of a show and really look like they're independent, almost revolutionaries for pro wrestling. I would argue wrestling media is making the young bucks a bigger star because because you know there's a i'm sure there's a promo after every ring of honor show and you know how often does it make a headline how often does anyone care about what they what so-and-so said in ring of honor but when it's giving them the content to make it newsworthy yeah and so i mean more power to them they figured out how to work the system wrestling media is complicit with them in working the system uh i mean Things like the the 2K story about them going to do and, motion and, and capture. And wrestling media, especially we're talking about ad revenue-driven wrestling media. Wrestling media is driven by what they think people care about. And they, they think people care about what's all, what's all this drama between the Young Bucks and WWE click. I think I think it's a, a self-perpetuating thing. I think they, they care about that, but at the same time, it works, so they do more of it. But at the same time, that drives more people doing it. They do a good job. I'm not I'm not trying to hate on the, the Young Bucks. I think it's great that they're doing it. I just don't believe that the Young Bucks in a vacuum make a noise. I think it's everyone else is, is acting as their advocate in the same way that Punk had a disproportionate share of voice when he would do stuff. You know, it gets enormous clicks. It gets enormous hits. There are certain personalities out there that uh, the wrestling media embraces and the fans embrace the wrestling media that embrace them. And you you can't pick and choose. It, it You don't know why it happens, but it does. And, hey, it's great when you're in that place because you can make money off people, you can uh, get attention, and you can become a bigger star. Because we know from history the one thing Vince McMahon always wants is what he can't have. And so, you know, if anything, what the Young Bucks are doing are driving up their price and driving up their ability to, to drive a price. You know, it's the story of AJ Styles, right? You know, getting a, a low-dollar developmental contract, going to New Japan, becoming a big star, and then suddenly WWE. He's willing to throw money at him and put him on the main roster. So I, I, I respect it. I think it's cool. I, but just things like it's funny to me. We talk about the 2K uh, motion capture stuff. 
you know, a little bit of that is like, you know, Dave was all about that. And I'm just like, I, I, I have a hard time believing Dave would be talking about anyone else doing motion capture in the world, unless it was them, you know, like it's only news because Dave wants to make it news for them. And so I, I do think it would be, if Dave was not so firmly in their court of being a great, um, and, and giving, and as the news came out about uh, Jimmy Jakes, it was broken by Pro Wrestling Sheet by Ryan Satin, by the way, and then Dave confirmed it uh, as well, and it seemed pretty transparent that how he confirmed it was talking to the Young Bucks. Yeah, and to me, it, it just seems like Dave's a good amplifier for that, and that's fine. To, you know, you everybody has. And, to and have I a would source. speculate that the so Dave's response was, "Yeah, I've, I've confirmed it. It's true. It was totally because of the Young Bucks." You know, he he said it's the four hundred pound dumbbell, not just the straw that broke the camel's back. And and my guess is. The Young Bucks either believe or want Dave to believe that, oh, it's totally because of us. And if, if Dave b- says it's totally because of the Bucks, that makes the Bucks even bigger stars because, he, as you kind of just said, that's all going to trickle down to wrestling media, and that's going to help them be- get more attention become bigger stars. And and it's it's epidemic because we all do it, right? So I look at everything through a, a legal lens. So I just made the assertion that Titus O'Neil was was you know suspended not for touching Vince McMahon, but for kicking a swerved cameraman. It's, right? it's in the Bucks' interest for for them to take the blame, if you will, for that picture yeah. to take the blame. Yeah. And, and just my point is like you, you always go from things from the, the set of facts that you feel most comfortable with to explain this situation. But it doesn't mean it's true or not true. You know, Jimmy Jacobs might have done something really wrong that got him fired, or he might have done nothing at all, just like a hundred other people who got fired from WWE who didn't really do something wrong. But WWE turnover supposedly with W writers, so or or just other positions too. So I mean, it's hard sometimes to know, but it's easy to frame it up in this situation, and it makes a good story. And that's the problem: is so many stories. You know, like Bray Wyatt, I don't think was on a bunch of shows this weekend, right? I think there's a, a blurb in the the Wrestling Observer about that. Saying, you know, Bray Bray wasn't he was on television, but it was a pre-tape with the sister Abigail thing. And he, he actually hadn't been wrestling for a couple days. And of course, for me, my mind instantly went to, well, there's a whole story that I published at Fightful about his subpoena with his ex-wife and all this other stuff. And I was like, maybe there's something going on with that. But no one decided to pick up on that angle because, you know what, that just wasn't the angle people thought would make sense to them. So it's it's funny where, like, and, you could and, have and created a narrative called, out of that. And, and this show isn't called the Wrestling Observer Radio. Yeah, I just mean you can create a narrative out of stuff uh, based on what you think is the interesting fact pattern to create. So – I, I just wanted to, to make that. I did think it was funny. You know, you bring up Daniel Bryan in our notes here, and you talk about we think his contract ends in September, uh, which means a 90-day out would be may, maybe closer to December. And and what did the Young Bucks say about this on Twitter? I mean, Nick Jackson tweeted, hey, Brian Danielson, you should take a photo with us too. So that's I, – I, I thought that was cute. You know, and that, that speaks to kind of the double standard, right, which is – Yes, there are going to be some people who are expendable who WWE is going to punish for doing one thing, and there's going to be other people that they're going to bend their back, go crazy to retain, no matter how much headache they cause you, just because to you it's worth more to have them with you than to give them away because you're that frustrated. Risk tolerance is one of the, the Mookie vocabulary words I've learned over the last few weeks. You know, it's just been thinking about Neville leaving. And to a less, far lesser extent, Jimmy Jacobs leaving. He's not an on-air talent, but we've seen it with Cody Rhodes. And uh, to a to a less successful result, we've seen it with Ryback and uh, Jack Swagger in that the, the talent just asks to be released. And this is something that we haven't seen as much in, in previous years. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I know uh, online, obviously, every wrestling podcast 
that has a brain is is criticizing, rightfully so, criticizing the creative of WWE. I, I've said it's like to to review Raw or to review WWE is a bit like a Sisyphean enterprise in that you're just gonna talk about what they should do, but then the next week they don't believe in the philosophy that you believe, so they've they're doing something totally different. So you're saying we need a Sisyphus character in wrestling, someone who's you know like a pushes a giant rock all the way up to the ring. They go up the ramp backwards after their match. I think we already have Sisyphean characters in, in wrestling, and they, they are every member of the wrestling media that has to review WWE. So my point is, though, the fans, we talk about how bad WWE booking is, how bad WWE creative is, but the fans, that doesn't strongly matter. I don't think, I know TV ratings are a problem, but the fan base hasn't gotten much smaller, in my view, over the last few years. If anything, the fan base has gotten more passionate and has poured more money per fan into WWE. But the thing that's starting to happen is the talent is getting frustrated with the creative. And if this this continues to go along the line that it's going, maybe there's going to be more talent that's going to be, and this is kind of wishful thinking, but maybe there's going to be more talent that's going to be frustrated with WWE going forward. And the thing that's going to, the way that bad WWE creative is going to end up hurting WWE badly is not because the fans are going to get so turned off, but because the talent is going to get so frustrated that they're going to say, Hey, look at what Cody Rhodes did. I'm just going to try to do that. So, one of my gazillion things that I've done that I don't ever like keep up to date, but I, I'll go for a while and then I'll just kind of lose interest is somewhere on my indeedwrestling.com page. I have a link to a thing where what I do is by year, I say who is new to WWE and who leaves WWE. And so it's it's meant to be a comprehensive list of everyone who's coming in and leaving the company, at least from a television standpoint, over the course of a year. And part of the reason was I was trying to track um, the cycles of when they did mass releases of people. And then, you know, how often would – how many years would someone, you know, usually be there? And then what were the reasons people would get released? There and hasn't added. been a mass release since that, what, June 2014 or so? Yeah, and that was what was really shocking to me. So I, I built this page and then – for years and years, there was no spring cleaning. And I think that was a shock where, you know, we, we do the, the kind of the equivalent of the Deadpool. With I, the, I feel uh, like that's, a, that's a recognition that, whoa, there's there's all these other companies out there that are starting to get a, a, some traction with wrestling fans. Let's not feed them by releasing 10 people at once. Or it's also a, a recognition that maybe we're able to sign more people for lower downsides and we have a greater tolerance to just absorb that. You know, that in the past I would have had to spend 150 or 200 on this talent. Now, when I signed them, it was at 100 and they're not making making noises that they need to leave. And so I was ready to just renew them because, hey, I have all these guys in developmental and they did not. I think personally it was that they thought developmental was going to explode. And it didn't explode in the way they thought. And so suddenly they realized I need more experienced vets than I, I have right now. And so they, they kind of ended up three years longer on a lot of that than they expected to. But I got to find that list just to kind of see, you know, the last time that they did one of these big cleanings just to see, you know, it is funny because you're right. There, there hasn't been a lot of people there for a period. And then now I feel like, yeah, you have a lot of guys under – 35, 36, you know, uh, it was Wade Barrett a couple uh, months ago and people like that leaving and they can choose to pop up in a new place and, and start a whole career. And I mean, I, I, would, I don't know, but we could look into it. And I would guess that the number of talents that they have under contract, whether it's a, the WUK contract, like the Pete Dunn's and Tyler Bates are under, I would, is this like the biggest W roster ever? Probably not ever because in the, um, in the 80s, they had a lot of guys because they were running the three tours at a time. But maybe if I include all the you developmental. You think those guys were under contract? 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. It was a contract's a very loose term, right? There, we know that some were because we've seen contracts going back as far as the 1984, 1985. We've seen those contracts. They show up in the immigration documents. They show up in the uh, 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 the the warrior lawsuit. So, I mean, there was guys under contract in the 80s. I'm positive of that. But you're right. Do I think uh, Jim Brunzel was necessarily under a WWE contract for year after year after year or it was something else or even, you know, especially the jobbers we know we're not. So I, I, I would have to go and look at the size of the roster over all the different years to be sure. And then there's the years that, you know, they were using a lot of USWA kind of joint stuff. And you could argue, are, are those guys under contract? Are they not under contract? But no, they, they do publish in the um, 10K, the annual report, a list of how many people they have under contract, at least of, as of December 2016. Again, what does a contract mean? Does the undertaker have a contract or is he under, you know, some other agreement? Um, Steve Austin, I found like a 2005 contract. The undertaker published. is committed through loyalty to Vince McMahon. They've done some sort of blood salute or something. But I mean, I found like a 2005 and Steve Austin contract once that the trademark office uh, filed and it, it was, you know, all blacked out for all the details, but it was a straight up booking contract. And I, I thought, oh, that's interesting because, you know, obviously Austin wasn't wrestling in 05, even though he did some on screen character stuff. So, you know, there are guys here that have contracts of different kinds, a lot of the times for merchandise reasons. So it's same with the Legends contracts. Who knows how they count those? Because, yeah, if you were to go by that standard, they have definitely more guys under quote unquote contract than ever because they've signed so many guys to Legends contracts for the almost for the pure reason of just making sure they can't sue over other old claims. So I just to reiterate the point, I just wonder if there's going to be if you can almost see in the distance a, a tipping point here where the indies are getting hotter and hotter, or at least it's becoming more and more easy to make a living on the indies, especially if you've been on WWE for a number of years. So that maybe we're getting to a tipping point here where the talent is getting frustrated enough with the creative that maybe more and more of them are going to leave and think, well, I can make, Cody says he's making more money outside of WWE than he was in it. So especially if, if I'm a, a lower card guy, like, like a Neville, maybe I can make more money outside of WWE than I can in it. Yeah, and, and awesome. I know there's no ten, there's no real competition to WB now. The thing that's going to sway fans is not so much the creative, I and mean, we can go on and on about what good booking is and, and what it's not. And there's a thousand other podcasts that do it. But I, I, I really wonder if going forward we're going to see more and more talent just get so frustrated with the creative that they're going to leave and, and do more exciting things, have a more rewarding career outside of WB, maybe make more money. They're going to be able to get all their own merchandise money. We know it all. And they're going to have more of their travel expenses paid for. And maybe we'll see, I don't know. I don't want to say competition because everybody freaks out when you say that. But uh, maybe we're going to see uh, even more exciting things in non-WB promotions in years to come. If you go to my WCW contract page, I do have a list of how many WCW guys are making money at different times. There's 350-some guys on that page. But in most years, it was somewhere between 90 and 150 guys that made 10 grand or more. And a couple of times WCW did full lists of who they wanted to do licensing agreements with a company called TrimFast. So they, they one time they sent a list of like 147 guys and one time they sent a list of 133. And those lists would often include guys like Lanny Poffo, who, you know, never really appeared on WWE TV or the Volanos or people like that. So they, they were weird lists. But um, that's the general number. When I think of, you know, what was the opulence of signing guys, it was probably WCW. And they got up to 300 or 400 guys that were signed at some point. But wow. most years, it was only probably 150 talents under contract. So just a number. But yeah, I agree with you. I think the one challenge is always going to be what part of the economy is going to come from fan support and what part of the economy is going to come from 
advertisers or mega corporations or monetization models that are based on some other distribution platform. And I think you can sort of poo-poo the idea and say, well, look, the, the number of fans who care about things other than WWE is very small. But I think there is a real effect in what Wade Keller calls the bellwether fans and that there's, yeah, there's these fans on the Internet and on Twitter or wherever, on Reddit or what have you, that they know about what's going on outside of WWE. But there's people who, you know, they make noise to everybody else and they spread word of mouth to everybody else. And then slowly other people become, that's how you learn. That's how you become a fan of, of stuff. You, you listen to other fans, or other, other people's opinions and recommendations and whatnot. Absolutely. And I, I always think, yeah, I think CM Punk and Daniel Bryan are great examples of that. And to uh, this year, uh, Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, you know, all of them have increased their voice of share, their, their share of voice across the world based on the amplification of the super fans. Agreed. Uh, let's talk about a super network you can join. That is the Global Wrestling Network, available at globalwrestlingnetwork.com. $8 a month. Um, you you wanted to write about this, and I think you did for Fightful when it was starting, and then you were tweeting about it, and some of your tweets were, were going viral, as the kids say. I didn't write uh, tell- about this. I didn't write well, about this. But, but Fightful had an article. But your, your tweets yeah. were going viral because uh, you noticed something very unusual about the launch. Yeah, I wasn't the first one to notice it. But they uh, so the globalwrestlingnetwork.com launched, and it was launched without defaulting to an HTTPS address. If you don't know what that is, that's that's like it makes – I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to try to explain. It makes the website secure, and it encrypts data that the user puts into it, such as a credit card number. So when you when you just went to if you just typed in globalforcewrestling.com and hit enter, you would be at an HTTP URL without any security. So and then they're asking you to sign up sign up for eight you know seven ninety nine and enter your credit card information here. And then when you at least when you looked at it in Google Chrome, when you went into the the field where you would enter your credit card number, there's a, a message there saying you know this is not secure. And if you look up at the URL at the address bar, you see where it would usually say secure. It would say non secure or something like that, not secure. So I, anyway, so what you're talking about is I took a screenshot of that, and then and when I, I I did sign up, I didn't put my credit card information in there, but I did sign up and create a user account, and that generated an automatic email to me. And then you can see in the email, this is a WordPress website, which if you don't know, WordPress is a I don't know what, what to call it. It's some sort of a website service where you can create websites uh, and you can manage websites through it, and uh, it's very easy to relative to other stuff. It's very easy to to operate and to figure out how to use. So it, it, the point is, though, if you're a, a major wrestling company, you would think that you would have some sort of more expensive and more uh, professional system to uh, create your, and manage your website with. But they don't. But anyway, that's not the, the, the bigger deal. The, the bigger deal is they've got an unsecure website, and they were asking people to enter their credit card information in this thing when the, the URL was not defaulting to HTTPS, at least for the first, I don't know, 8 to 12 hours or so. Interesting. And, and it, it's intriguing. I, I do think this is a good example of – Fight Network is running the Global Wrestling Network brand. Uh, they're running GFW or TNA or whatever they're calling it today. And as far as Impact. the WordPress thing, sorry, like as far as the WordPress thing, you would think you're you're owned by Anthem, and Anthem you would think has some infrastructure, but maybe just the Fight Network is using WordPress as well. And I know TNA's website was using WordPress before that. But you would think when you're Anthem and you own a TV network, you would think you would have some sort of I don't know professional. Uh, software to manage your, your website and things like that, not the type of software that somebody like me uses to update websites like eswrestling.com and voicesofwrestling.com. 
And that's the challenge, right? Global is that we're, we're running into this question of like, is Anthem going to become Sinclair 2.0, where it's about how can I run a wrestling company for as cheap as possible, and we're losing the least amount of money, and somehow getting a maximized ROI on it. And the version of what they think a maximized ROI is usually how can I invest as little as I can and then get some kind of a revenue stream generated, versus how can I invest in the brand and build it to a place that it's worth more as a whole and it has a huge impact pun intended um it's a challenge right so it does seem something that maybe was rushed it does seem something that like what they've talked about uh in terms of who they wanted to partner with and work with were fanciful i think is the word i would choose in terms of yeah it would be great if you could get triple a and noah and all these people that wanted to put their stuff on your service but it's probably not going to happen um and so it's funny they do have a couple partners though for content and who are they they are Smash Wrestling in Toronto, which already appears on the Fight Network. I believe they're in the time slot right after Impact. They have Border City Wrestling, which is a promotion uh, in Ontario, I believe just on the border with Michigan. That's run by Scott Demore, who's a uh, who's involved in the creative team with Impact. Who's back creative? He, I mean, he he's was with right. TNA back way when they started. Like if you remember of the, course, the famous Unbreakable team. three-way with uh, AJ Styles, Daniels, and, and Samoa Joe. He's the guy who was the head booker during what I think a lot of fans consider the best time for TNA. Yeah, and Team Canada stuff. He was an on-screen character for years and years as well. Yeah, and apparently, I don't know uh, the story behind this, but they have wrestling at the chase footage. Yeah, that's that's that one has just been the weirdest thing coming out of the blue you know probably some deal they made with um i don't know whether it's larry matzik or whether it's um the mushnick family or the tv station that they were selling it all to in st louis but yeah that's the one that i think everyone is kind of curious to see what exactly does that mean is this just the old you know at one time there's like wrestling gold dvds with dave Meltzer and jim Cornette doing commentary and i wonder if some wrestling from the chase at the chase footage was used on those dvds so it could also be one of those kind of things where they're just re-releasing something that I think they they said had been like been on on in demand on a, a pay-per-view at one point some kind of specials that they had uh, but we don't know anything because is, is any of this actually on the service yet Can I'm, looking we, at it, we... I'm looking at it right now it is on there uh, the smash stuff is on there border city wrestling stuff is on there and the cla- under classic wrestling something c- comes up called pro wrestling superstars this edition of PWS features slick Wagner Brown homicide versus Rhino balls Mahoney and more no idea what this pw yeah that that <laughs> i was gonna say don't think uh, uh balls mahoney was uh wrestling no. at wrestling at the chase in st louis <laughs> i've always been curious about wrestling at the chase when i've heard about it it's like people sitting in ballrooms all dressed up in the front row and whatnot it looks like we got the chic here i don't i don't know what the hell i'm looking at yeah that's we'll, we'll have to report back more on that and if you are a gw gfw no gwn so many acronyms gwn uh viewer please tell us about what you can find on there i mean garrett uh garrett kidney wrote a good uh, guide to gwn on uh it's on voices yeah. of net of wrestling right i was yes. reading through it this morning and and he did a great job on that of just kind of saying hey you like uh, uh really good aj style stuff check out these 15 matches they're incredible and you enjoy this this is a good value and you know for eight dollars if you just want to get eight dollars worth of entertainment in one month, you certainly can. There is there's a value to this service. I don't think it's worth ninety six dollars a year, but I think it's worth eight dollars one time, and you can enjoy it all. The reality is, you can probably find most of it on Daily Motion. And as far as availability, I, they advertise okay, it's on iOS, it's on Android mobile. 
It's on TV apps, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, Xbox, and Roku. I've, I've got to look at that. So I've the uh, there is a global wrestling network, or at least an Impact app, on my Apple TV. I'm entering my password right now to see what, just what I'm going to get here. Wait, it's called Impact on your Apple TV? I'm going to have to look. Hang on. See, this is confusing. I went to my Roku, and I typed in global wrestling. Nothing came up. Global W, nothing. So then I typed in wrestling, and I saw the list of all the Roku things that had wrestling in it. And so most of them, you know, some of them were were like a world – Oh, WWN, I think, was on there and some others. But most of them, you know, were just like little indie things. And one was called GXW. So I, I downloaded GXW and tried to run it. And uh, I was unable to see the stars of GXW because the channel immediately aired out. So uh, I am not able to find Global Wrestling Network on my Roku unless it's called Impact. Like you, I have Total Access Impact, actually, which is, which is not G. WN. That is the precursor, I believe. There's something in their FAQ on their website about what about total access impact? Like, what the hell is that? That must be what this is. I don't know. I'll tackle it later. But anyway, it looks like maybe I don't have this. Which has been an issue before. Like, we, we, the WWE network originally launched, it was a big deal about. If you don't immediately get on Apple and on yeah. Roku, it can really hamper your ability to spread out. Now, it's if you're really talking about I a think NGPW world as well, but anyway. yeah, if you but if you're a service that you know is maybe going to get a thousand subscribers, is it necessarily going to hurt that hardcore of the hardcores that are going to sign up? I don't know. I do think it hurts your ability to reach outside of that circle a lot. So it's unfortunate, but it takes time, and I'm guessing that you know for them it's just more of a, a checkbox that they want to click, more than it's even a revenue stream that they think they're going to monetize in an enormous way. Well, Ed Nordholm made it sound like you know he needs to make money doing doing this, but uh, at least he'll make some money. Maybe I don't know what the startup costs are. I would think that their their subscriber rate, especially when you've got no live content on it like they're not going to be airing their pay-per-views on this live right like WWE does so this is basically you're paying for a library and nothing else well and the tv show right the idea is that you can get on delay on delay but you can get the tv show and and some people have complained you know i can't get the tv show pop i was asking about the other day you know can you even get an hd and so this would be an example of being able to watch the show in hd um and and in theory an unedited version of the show right i would assume it's the same show but you're not necessarily constrained exactly the same way of what you have to put up so you know you could do a match longer or we can i would be fascinated if a lot of the um you know the explosion stuff i that's what i'm really curious to see if they have on there is that there was all these you know one-off matches that they recorded that were either impossible to find that aired or just like really, you know, only aired in the UK and stuff like that. And a lot of times that involved all those talent exchanges that they did, right? So all those New Japan talent that was coming through at various times through TNA, I think a lot of them ended up getting relegated to weird explosion matches against Suicide or, you know, some Crimson or some other random person. I'd be fascinated by that. So again, my fascination with Velocity Jacked Shotgun Saturday (laughs) Night extends to the TNA peripheral program. But I, you know, I want my WCW worldwide. Are you a weekly viewer of WWE main event then? I should be, right? I should be. 
I want what I can't have. That's I'm the Vince McMahon of, of terrible wrestling If you media. contribute to our Patreon and give us enough money eventually so that we can quit our day jobs, Mookie will watch and review WWE Main Event every week. I probably could. I probably could because that, it, it's easier to deal with something like that where there's just not a lot of promos and long segments and there's only going to be like two matches. I mean, Joe Lanza was watching Main Event for years yeah. and years there and, and giving the reviews on Voices either, of Wrestling. Either superstars or Main Event, yeah, you would review them in batches. I remember having to go through that for that. If you remember the star rating spreadsheet I did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot more Curtis Axel getting reviewed than you'd think would be, right? I think even Rob McCarron uh, did some some of those. Maybe Rob McCarron was doing main event or one or the other, and uh, Rob McCarron gave some match on main event or superstars like five stars, which I had to, had, had to make an executive decision about in my spreadsheet. Because <laughs> it was a, a Yoshitatsu five stars for, for uh, yeah, it was, superstars? It was, it was probably like a five-minute match between Yoshitatsu and Heath Slater or something. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, We'll find out more about what's happening with Global Wrestling Network, but it has launched and it's available in most countries of the world. You know, U.S., Canada, Mexico, a whole bunch of stuff in South America, Australia, New Zealand, most of Europe, and then uh, Japan. So it, for the most part, it's, it's you know, if you're in Ghana, you probably can't get it right now. But um, actually, India is not on this list, is it? Ooh. How are they going to make money? Well, my guess is they have a very lucrative contract in India. And so the idea of putting that television show up in India is not something that they want to happen. And if we remember what happened with WWE Network, they also didn't launch their service in India when they originally launched because they had a lucrative deal. So uh, not super surprised to see that. I mean, obviously, the UK, Canada and the US are their three primary markets with India as their primary revenue market. And... um, Arguably, probably some other country like Germany or Brazil or Japan as a very distant 10th market, you know, for them. Maybe Mexico, probably even higher than the others. So uh, we'll we'll track that. And if you are watching uh, GWN and you discover, you know, some of that good peripheral content, you can let me know if Explosion or whatever the other kind of peripheral shows are, if any of that FSN kind of crazy content is on there if that tom arnold match is on there if um you know and and again if uh wrestling at the chase if there's something special on there that hasn't been released or seen before i'll probably find out about it because there's a uh, a guy i know i'll call lw uh if you know who he is you probably know who i'm talking about and he releases um archives of wrestling content that is um been preserved let's put it that way and so he sells a lot of DVDs of pretty much any you know territory in the world. And so if you ever need content, he's the guy I always refer you to because I get emails from people all the time being like, hey, how can I get a copy of the Death Valley Driver 80 set? Or how can I get a copy oh. of you know 1983 World Class? And he sells that stuff. And every month he sends out a newsletter being like, here's my new releases this month. And usually it's basically here's all the new stuff from WWE Network. And then here's all the new stuff that's been somehow, you know, kind of unearthed or archived for the first time by, you know, one of these libraries. And so what's been really cool is, you know, I can often keep up on what are the new discoveries of 70s and 80s pro wrestling through his newsletter. Uh, So I'll be kind of curious to see if there's some new stuff that shows up now that GW ends up. Yeah, interesting. And if if you if you uh, uh, want to find out more, perhaps Chris Harrington at gmail dot com is the person you want to talk to, and I can refer you to this person, and you can deal with them on on the legality of what they do. But uh, <laughs> I can just give you their contact information. It's the best I can do. 
Uh, let's talk about Lucha Underground, whether they are going to have a new season or not. So there was a story in the Wrestling Observer newsletter about how Lucha Underground is looking for a different network other than the El Rey network for the fourth season. And then apparently MGM made a statement to Fightful, I think through Carlos Toro, denying that story, saying, no, we're not, we're not looking for a new home for Lucha Underground. So who knows what's going on? You can take whatever for what it's worth. But according to the Observer story, it is uh, Eric Van Wagenen, Dorian Roldan, who, and Dorian Roldan is, is the AAA promoter, right? And Vampiro, they feel that Lucha Underground just needs time and better exposure to catch on. But then there are some other uh, decision makers, such as Alex Garcia and Antonio Q. Navarro. These are the people who have put up the money for the, the last two seasons. They don't want to put more money into the project, according to The Observer. So, and it's a costly investment, right? So I yes. think The Observer said 400000 production cost. Yes. I know we wrote per episode. I think that's per taping, actually. So okay. if you remember, they could tape several episodes in a day. And that makes more sense to me is I don't think they're spending 400 grand per per single one hour episode. I think it's more like, you know, you can get three or four episodes in. And so you're talking about 100 grand an episode. That's more in line with what I would expect it to cost. Yeah. Because um, even WWE, 400 grand an episode, you know, their their TV is more expensive than that in general, but not a ton more expensive. And I don't think Lucha Underground is nearly the cost of what WWE is when you're talking live and pyro and talent and set up and take down an arena and everything else. So totally different. But yeah, it's expensive. And at, you know, somewhere south of half a million dollars an episode, and you're talking about how many people are probably watching the show? The Observer goes on to be kind of pessimistic about the viewership. We're in the third season. We're talking here on October 14th, and the, the final episode of Ultima Lucha 3, or Trace, is going to be this coming Wednesday. Season 1, the average viewership was 55,000. And keep in mind, the El Rey Network was only in, in the middle of season one. They were only in 25,000 homes. 25 more. million. Yes. <laughs> there we go. I forgot I to add say, those zeros here. I was one of those 25 million homes. I got El Rey as soon as it launched. And uh, I got to say, El Rey is a great channel. I, I wish more people watched it. Their Dust to Dawn little series was pretty cool. They have awesome kung fu movies. Uh, the uh, Rodrig- Rodriguez um Interviewing director stuff is fantastic, and uh, I, I really enjoy the L Ray Network. It's actually one of the like ten stations I go to a lot. But at the same time, Lucha Underground has a very tiny presence there and was not pulling in you know record numbers. It's a tiny station, you know, fifty five thousand average viewers on twenty five million people, and then the next year where they went up by uh, almost fifty percent in terms of households available. It, they only they kind of went up by about fifty percent in terms of viewership, but then by season three they were down again, right? Yes. Well, so the the, the history of the, this show's viewership just looks like the history of how many homes El Rey is available in. Season one averaged fifty five thousand. Season two averaged one hundred twenty two thousand. And as of last week, season three is averaging one hundred three thousand. So that's that's with two episodes to go in the season. So that's lower a little bit than season two. Wasn't there some, like, wasn't there a... And that's a, just the first, this is just getting technical garbage jargon, but that's just the first run only. If and Then I also looked at comp, you know, combining the first run and the, and the replay. Season 2, by that calculation, does 182,000. And then Season 3 was down, 154,000. And wasn't there even a Spanish-language replay at some point that was airing on a different network? During Season 1, uh, there was a Spanish-language version of Lucha Underground that aired on the Unimas channel, yes. which I believe is a broadcast channel that you can pick up in some markets. 
Yeah. And so, and then of course, the, Lucha Underground also has gotten itself on Netflix, though, as Dave Lagan mentioned last time, it took, you know, almost two years for them to get season one back onto Netflix, as I recall. Yep. So, again, opportunity to, ex- you know, expand your marketplace beyond a many millions of, you know, hundreds of millions of, of people who could hypothetically access this, but still a, a very small footprint of what they actually reached. But I, uh, I can see the, where, where, the side that wants to put this on another network, supposedly, whether, whether that's true or not. I can see where they would be coming from saying, hey, look, we, uh, the show's viewership has grown with our, you know, our exposure, with the number of homes that we're able to get into. So if we get, you know, the only the argument is probably the only way to continue to grow this thing is to put it on a bigger network. And to compare, you know, okay, 45 million homes, that's the number of homes that El Rey is in right now. If you compare that to something like the USA Network, they're in. 90 million homes or upwards of 90 million homes, something like that. So there, so El Rey's got about half the exposure of a top rated cable network, but it has only one tenth the ratings, right? So if we were to say, okay, great, you can double the number of homes, you're 90 million homes. Now you're going to get 300,000 viewers. Well, raw is getting 3 million viewers, right? Right. Right. So there is something to the i don't know the prestige or the visibility of the network yeah no i i I don't know if this this company could survive without being a a network thing i don't think they could survive as a digital entity the problem is they've never really figured out a way to make money right because the only money they're making is essentially from people uh paying them to produce the show which is probably not even more than it's costing to make the show some merchandise and then every now and then they'll run a couple shows that aren't free Right, they do a like a very, very, very limited tour, and then they, they did South by Southwest, and I don't think they've done much else. And then occasionally they'll do a crossover with like AAA, right? So these guys get to work somewhere else, and you could argue, okay, you're getting a little of the Lucha Underground bump. Yeah, and that just sounds like a talent exchange or something. It doesn't sound like this is Lucha Underground itself getting any money from that. Well, but you could argue the brand is helping build the gate for that show. But yeah, I agree, and it's interesting. I mean, and, that, the, and that's happening in Mexico too, right? So yes, mostly. So this show isn't even being watched in Mexico. I don't believe. Not really, no. And so that's why I'd say it's hard to even say that the brand is getting the is bumping the gate because a couple characters I think have done well uh, in terms of you know becoming Pentagon's become a huge star because of this. Well, absolutely speaking, Pentagon's become a big indie star because of this. I, I honestly think Lucha Underground's influence will largely be. In the fact that, again, I come from things from a legal standpoint, but the contracts that they got people to sign to treat it like a television show rather than a, a wrestling company and the intricate um, binding that that has done to so many people. Right. So Ricochet famously is essentially booked until I think January because of the Lucha Underground contract, because it it's limits his time to be involved. He, he would be free to work elsewhere, I think, around January. Yeah, because it limits his ability to be recontracted with a U.S.-based media company until the last episode airs of Lucha Underground and so many days passes from that. So it has nothing to do with the fact that this stuff was recorded a year ago or two years, you know, a year and a half ago. It has more to do with the fact that it hadn't aired yet. And that's unusual, right? Most of when we think of our non-compete contracts, most of them are, are tied up around uh, when was your last day of work, not when was the last time this was aired on a, a network of some sort. So it was interesting. I, I don't know if you caught the um, back and forth this morning with Dave Meltzer and people where they're talking about Ricochet, where it sounds like Ricochet is probably going to um, go to WWE in some form. 
And people were saying, well, do you think Neville could uh, make it as a junior heavyweight or a heavyweight in New Japan? And Dave said, I think he could be a really big junior heavyweight. And people said, well, why why would you say it even matters? Kenny Omega proved that you can be anything. And even Ricochet kind of jumped in the conversation is like, well, you'd think it doesn't matter anymore if you're considered a junior heavyweight in New Japan. But maybe it matters more than you think it does. Basically hinting that perhaps one of the reasons that he – made a decision not to end up with New Japan here is that they did not seem like they were treating him like he could be a top star, but rather just, you know, kind of putting him in that bucket. And yeah. he, he resented that in some way. So it'll be interesting to see, you know. And I think Kenny Omega made comments in character, but I but I would guess that expressed some of his real opinion that yeah, he was thrown in, in the junior heavyweight division and, and how that was beneath him. Well, and so the question is, okay, so Ricochet seems like he's making it pretty clear that he does not want to be treated like a junior heavyweight. Will he go and try to get the Finn Balor treatment in WWE, or will he end up with the Neville treatment, right? It makes I, a difference. I, you I, see I think that it makes a big, big difference. Yeah, I think he'll end up in NXT and then be pushed as a top NXT guy for a while. I think that's where he's going to end up. But do you think he'll make it to the main roster? I mean, we're, we're fantasy eventually, booking Ricochet eventually. right now. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I think he'll make it to the main roster eventually, and then that's where things... Uh, get cooled off <laughs> who knows maybe he'll warm it up he'll uh he'll he'll be the pacemaker will be his new nickname um you did a whole bunch of graphs in this yeah. document here and if you want to see these graphs all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash russellnomics you become a uh, supporter even a dollar a month will get you even one this document even one dollar a month that's that's how little we think of ourselves uh, right. But what's great about it is you get to see all these fancy graphs here with his dubious uh, statistical knowledge on what he's looking at for these things. I, what, I had to go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics myself to make sure that was true. Just $1 and you can get access to all this stuff. Yeah. So tell if me. If you want to give us more, we'll take more. But we will $1, take $1. Everybody can probably afford $1. So, so what is my takeaway of these these eye charts that you're posting here you're about, about Google the, Trends? Viewership. So I, I dumped a bunch of viewership charts in here that we've kind of referenced already but then the narrative is well the buzz on lucha underground has, has worn off so the thing that i want to look at the only thing that i've got access to look at to try to see if i can support that or refute that is mask google. sales mask sales i don't have access to that data though but i do have access to google trends by just going to trends.google.com and i can type in things like ring of honor and Lucha Underground. And I can even now, I just discovered this, this just as of this, this week, it's the first time I've noticed it because I've tried to do this before and I haven't been able to. I can type in Pro Wrestling Gorilla and it will, it will. if you haven't looked at Google, Google Trends before, there are basically buckets. So when you start to type a person's name or an entity's name, it will either recognize that or not recognize that. And it appears to maybe be related to whether or not you have a Wikipedia page, although PWG had a Wikipedia page for a long time but didn't have a, a bucket, as I call it, in Google Trends anyway. The point is, it looks like, yeah, the the, uh, the Google Trends, this is the search data, you know, how many times people are searching for Lucha Underground. It has uh, it has sloped off uh, following, I think the, the big peak is the, the debut of season two. That's where there was the most interest in Buzz and intuitively, you know, in, in my you know, my personal experience, I would say, yeah, that's probably when there was the most interest in Lucha Underground. And since then, it it, it is uh, leveled back down. What? Which is the Rey Mysterio season? Is it season two or season three when, like, Alberto Patron and, and Rey Mysterio were both getting involved? Now you're asking me to actually watch the stuff that we talk about? Some some Sometime in, in season two is where he debuts. Gotcha. And then is there a difference between worldwide and U.S.? There is. So in, in the worldwide, there isn't a great difference when it comes to Lucha Underground. 
But when you put, I put New Japan on the chart as well. And then you see New Japan worldwide is, by, by 2014, is surging above Ring of Honor and Lucha Underground. Now that's worldwide. And you think about that, so that's going to include Japan where that's, that's their home domestic promotion, where they are the number one promotion in the country. So let's just look at U.S. and consider New Japan, Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, and PWG. And of course, PWG is at the bottom. We're looking at like September 2014 when Lucha Underground starts up to the present. New Japan is second from the bottom, just above PWG at the beginning of this graph. And then roughly third from the bottom is Lucha Underground, and above that is Ring of Honor on top. And Ring of Honor, by the end of it, is still on top, but... In the meantime, and this is this coincides with approximately Wrestle Kingdom 11 earlier this year on January 4th, New Japan, and this is just United States interest. Remember now, now, now the, the Japan stuff is gone, so New Japan's way down here, at, uh, second from the bottom, just a, a good margin over PWG at the beginning of of this graph in 2014-15, and then again by January of this year, it surges above Lucha Underground, while at the same time interest in Lucha Underground appears to diminish. The point I get from this is that Wrestle Kingdom 11 was a really big kind of a milestone event for them in terms of at least U.S. interest. Still below that of Ring of Honor in this country, but getting pretty close. Let me clarify. Rey Mysterio joined Season 2. He did the famous Aztec Warfare 2 match, which was arguably one of the, the high points for uh, uh, Lucha Underground. And he continued into the beginning of Season 3. Um because of the taping schedule, he started in December of 2015, and he ended in June of 2016. And uh, some of those episodes, you know, have just only recently aired. Uh, so it's it's funny just how different that, that length is there, especially when you're thinking about, like, voting for match of the year and stuff. To say, if a match is recorded but it doesn't air for a year, is it a match of the year contender? And if it's edited in a television studio, you know, a thousand times, is it still the same match as when you're a pay-per-view match you watch live? So yeah. it's tough. Huge, to, huge philosophical problems here for the Observer Awards. Yes. So and then Alberto, just since I, I want to be a completist on this here of which seasons he was working. And uh, he was in Lucha Underground as I go to cage match. I believe his last match was the end of season one. Because he was upset about... Uh, You're right, yes. So Johnny Mundo beat him in the end of season one. So Alberto's time was actually only in season one. So Ray and Alberto actually never were both in the company at the same time. Got it. He cut that fired up promo, but I guess by the end of it, he was creatively unhappy with uh, being on the opener of Ultima Lucha and then losing anyway. Yes. So... Um, the takeaways on this is that the Lucha Underground trends are actually interesting because they 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 are so much stronger than something like PWG, which you know disproportionately gets more attention on the wrestling Twitter of the world. Uh, but you know, on on the grand scheme of things, there's probably you know ten times the number of eyeballs on Lucha Underground just because it's on a such bigger distributed platform, even as small as we're saying El Ray is. Um, there was a I mean, lot if, of if we if we take this. Uh... What is this, the x-axis on the left? See, I, I, I don't even know. What's, what's a y-axis on the left? The, the, the vertical axis. That's the y-axis. That, that's the y-axis. Okay. It's uh, Lucha Underground's at about 25, right? And PWG's at 5, so it's like 5 times the interest? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other one is, wasn't there an insane uh, Lucha Underground match that just aired? Uh, like a glass death match, essentially, is what it ended up being like. A very bloody, uh, I think it was Killshot and somebody else maybe uh, going nuts that they were reviewing this week. Could be. 
Well, I just I remember hearing about it because they were saying how like it was in some ways like one of the most violent television matches that had actually aired on television in a long, long time. Like, you know, it, it was, you know, obviously there's been far more crazier death matches in Big Japan and in CZW and all sorts of places, but most of them are not airing on an actual television station. Oh, not US TV. Yeah, and so they're saying that this match actually, in some ways, with the blood and the 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 glass and everything else, was was really intense. And I feel bad, like I've underserved, you know, these guys who killed themselves to do it. And I I don't even remember which participants it was. I wanted to say it was Kill Shot and uh, somebody else, but um, like I said, I I didn't I haven't seen it. But Meltzer just was going on and on and on about it, along with um, uh, Brian Alvarez recently. So. I'm kind of curious. Looks, it looks like Dante Fox, which is AR Fox against Killshot, which who is uh, Shane Strickland. Yeah, and but is it was it say, said it was a death match or something of that nature? Kill, Killshot hits a cradle pile driver on Fox on broken glass, and this is part of Ultima Lucha Trace. So I'm, I'm, this must be what you're referring to. Yes, yes, it was a first blood match, then a no DQ match, and then a medical evacuation match. Was I think the three? Uh, hell of War match. Hell of War, the Hell of War match. Yes, the one that aired on episode 37 in season three. Or yeah. whatever they call episode thirty-seven. Maybe that just means the thirty-seventh episode period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was broadcast on the twenty-seventh of uh, September, and I think I'll probably go try to seek that out. It's, I think it's El Rey. I can do that on on demand on my uh, Xfinity cable service. So I will probably watch wow. that after this. So, so, so you do get the El Rey network? I do. Yes. <laughs> but you do not get access. I do not get access. I told you I get El Rey. I love El Rey. Okay. And well, yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I get accused of not listening to you. Ha, Pasha. Ha. Um, let's talk about, uh, New Japan since you were just talking about, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 11 and, and kind of how it set a new standard for the ability for New Japan to really have a worldwide presence and attention and what's going on with Wrestle Kingdom 12 right now. So tickets are on sale for Wrestle Kingdom 12. That's going to be January 4th in 2018. That's the, the day that New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom big show in the Tokyo Dome is every year. And uh, we're getting reports that, uh, this is according to our, our friend Evan Deadly Sins W on Twitter, he noted that ticket sales for Wrestle Kingdom 12 are already moving faster than they were moving last year. Uh, the For the Arena A section in the Tokyo Dome, that, that took until early December to be sold out, and, and that section sold out on October 6th this year. What are people buying tickets to see? What are they hoping to see? The main event this year is now officially... Kazuchiko Okada defending the title against Tetsuya Naito. I think that's the only match that is officially decided, but there's plenty of speculation that there's going to be a Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi match. Tanahashi's got to wrestle somebody. I know Joe Lanza on the Voices Wrestling flagship podcast last week was speculating that maybe the, the Shibata thing is, is a work, and uh, Tanahashi's going to end up wrestling Shibata. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at like a, a house of what, 26,000 plus? So these we believe to be legit numbers in terms of paid tickets. In 2016, about 25,000. In 2017, about 26,000. So the, this better advance certainly hints that there's going to be a better attendance than 26,000 uh, in uh, January. In our show with Evan, he, didn't he also talk about how they were doing more efforts to do outreach to foreign fans and kind of almost set up travel packages so people could come in and fly in to see Russell Kingdom this year? He did say that. I don't. I don't think we've. Uh, I, I haven't seen any of that myself. Have you? Yeah. I I don't know if I've looked for it enough. I would love to see that because, like I say, I could even get my wife to go with me to a a Russell Kingdom show or something. You go because it would be it would it would be a fun vacation to go to Japan and do that. And I have I have a 
one or two friends there. I can take a picture. I'm sure someone on Twitter will hit me up and say, I live in that building. Oh, no, no. One of the guys I went to Ghana, actually a bunch of the people I went to Ghana with were from Japan. So a couple of them I've, I've kept up with all these years. So I'd love to go see them. That is kind of a, a bucket list thing. I Cause I used to be really into Japanese wrestling, like early two thousands and that, you know, and there were, I was even thinking then at like age 18 or whatever, maybe I'll get to Japan somehow, but maybe someday. So it'll be fascinating. I think the Ibushi, uh, Omega match is really interesting just because Abushi and Omega have such a long history together, mainly in DDT, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, they had a fantastic main event in Budokan Hall. I think it's 2012, Peter Pan. And and their chemistry together is really strong. And seeing them in New Japan, especially the way that Obushi's been used in New Japan, which was for a while there kind of as a just a random guy in that Tiger Mask W gimmick. But um, ramping him up in this big stage and considering just the part of the career that Kenny Omega is in where he seems to have capitalized on what he can do right that will connect both with the New Japan fans and with the worldwide audience that, you know, you'd you'd have to believe he'd go all out to try to make this a big success, especially with someone he cares a lot about and uh, wants to wants to do this kind of match with. So I think it'll be interesting. A lot of people thought it might be Omega Okada again for Tokyo dome leading up you know a year ago that was the speculation so they've already done that two more times since exactly so they burned through that program faster than i think anyone ever thought they would um but it's it's intriguing what's going on with uh kadani the uh the guy that we we hear a lot for bushi road and and new japan as the owner bushi road being the owners of new japan yeah we learned from bushi road's own website that uh and now it's in japanese but uh, he has he's left the position that he had in bushi road uh, and then he's now moved to the board of directors and, uh, I, I not having a clue of what that meant. I, I reached out to Evan and asked him if he knew what that meant. And, uh, he said it, he, he doesn't know what it means exactly for new Japan yet. So there's not much to say about it, but it's something to keep in mind. Um, and, and it's intriguing to us because of course, um, a lot of the direction of, of kind of new Japan getting revitalized the, came the from global the global road background and then kadani himself is the one who's been making all these uh i was going to say preposterous but like full of um pompacity let's say statements about the greatness of new japan and how they could go into the u.s market and be really big and take on wwe and i feel like kadani himself has really been a mouthpiece for a lot of that right he has been the uh, the president of bushi road and i guess the chairman of new japan but uh as far as we know so far i yeah that Nothing's changing with New Japan yet, but uh, I guess we'll stay tuned. Tell me about what At Leaky Gabe was. Uh, this is a good example of a, a ridiculous internet. That's something that could ha- only happen in the year 2017. Uh, At Leaky Gabe, which the account is now gone and been deleted. And uh, I think I, I was listening to the Everything Evolves podcast, which uh, if you have time, you should really check out. They, they go over all the, the ethical questions and considerations uh, behind their uh, decision to to report the story about how Gabe called them up. That's the Voices of Network, Voices of Wrestling Network, correct? Right right on this very podcast network, you can listen to that. Aaron Taub and... Aaron Bentley, yep. Yeah, and Aaron Aaron Taub is, is a friend, so I, I, will, I will put over the podcast. It's a good podcast to listen to. So there's this Leaky Gabe Twitter account, which purportedly someone who's a talent for Evolve, and uh, the, the account... I guess it followed all of the. Uh, that's why I brought up everything evolves. I guess it followed all of the all of the accounts that the everything evolves account was following. So it ended up following me and probably you. 
I made all these derogatory statements about Gabe saying that you know, he wasn't paying people enough and he was canceling shows and that's making people unhappy and Gabe and Sal aren't getting along because of the Flow Sports lawsuit and they're having disagreements about how they're going to you know, live stream Evolve going forward. And then a, a few days after that, uh, this account posted a screenshot of an email that Gabe apparently sent to Talent, uh, very similar to the other email that was uh, reported uh, by Bix on Fightful a couple weeks ago. He says things like, we have a, a several very viable possibilities for our future when it comes to live streaming. And I'll kill rumors right now and say WB Network is not one of them. There's some talk in there as well about how they're gonna, they can go in two directions as far as the rules that were in the uh, the other email. If you remember, there's certain rules like don't do any head drops, don't do things. Look in the camera. In, in that one, yeah, don't uh, do apron moves. He said we can go two ways with this. We can either you know, move away or we can double down on the rules. And I say we double down on the rules. Uh, and who, I mean, this is a, it's a screenshot of an email from Gmail, and s- some things are redacted, like the, the two in the from, and there's there's some lines where you know the phone numbers of Gabe and Sal are redacted and like scribbled out. So is this a wrestler or is this Gabe himself? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know that we'll ever know. I guess Bix said that you know for what it's worth, I don't know who Leaky Gabe was, but I did get a your contact is now on Twitter notification when the account holder signed up. So I guess maybe it's a. Uh, it's a contact that uh, is in Bix's. Maybe Bix has this person's phone number, but you can't really ex- extract from that notification just who it is. Someone on a Wrestling Observer board posted a. Uh, I guess if you if you try to log into a, a Twitter account, so you could you could attempt to log into this account or anybody's account on Twitter by you know just entering their username and then trying to enter a password. And then when he says, "Oh, invalid password," you can click on "I forgot my password," and then that brings you to a screen where it will give you a. Uh, it will show you bits of the email address that are associated with this account. I didn't see this myself, but supposedly there's the email address that's shown is it begins with CH and then there's a bunch of asterisks that censor out the rest of the email. And then there's an at, and then it's at G, which is probably at Gmail. So do you know like anybody it, who has an email address? I was, was going to say H at star so, dot gmail.com. So I, apparently this is, this is Chris.Harrington at gmail.com. This, this is a account. real shock to me, actually, because I, 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 I had no clue what you were writing about when you wrote this story. Um, I, I have a pretty good alibi for the last three days here in that I, <laughs> I've been traveling an enormous amount and spend very little time actually on the Internet. I, I did then, count up the characters, though. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's actually true character uh, hiding, though. You don't think so? No. Well, the Gmail is. Let's see. G-M-A-I-L dot yeah. C-O-M. And uh, the, the speculation is that maybe this is Chris Dickinson. Not not necessarily that Chris Dickinson is legit upset, but there's speculation that this is all just a work. Who, who and, is Chris uh, Dickinson? I don't I don't even know the name. Chris Dickinson is a I believe he, he lives in the New New England area, but he's a he's an indie wrestler that has uh, in, within the last year or so started wrestling for Evolve. And he was mentioned in, in the first email that was leaked uh, as somebody who's going to kind of be a road agent for for Gabe on, mm-hmm. on the Evolve shows because I guess Gabe and Chris Dickinson had been traveling a lot together, had been in cars together, and had had a lot of discussions. And he and Gabe felt that Chris Dickinson was somebody who could uh, who could help him help people carry out the vision that he had. But uh, if you count the asterisks here, it, it, it would add up to Chris Dickinson. But, oh, okay, that's a pretty pretty good uh, uh, amount of. Um... Uh, detective work there. I uh, I applaud and abhor all that work that went into that. But I, I, I didn't do that work actually. But I, uh, I, 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 just in general. But I, I'm very amused that yes, it would be something. And I'm surprised that not a single person ever like mentioned this to me. That that, that like hey, you know, your email would have worked for this. But that's really funny. So that's that's intriguing to me. Um, like you said, could it be Gabe running an angle? Uh, 
I could see Quack. I could certainly see Quackenbush doing this. You know, he's the sort of guy who loves that kind of multi-angle internet work. This thousand-level scheme. Yeah, and, and by the so way, game. there's no, there's nothing to stop anybody from just creating a Gmail account and naming it after somebody who they are not. And you know, I've talked a lot about how uh, I have Chris Harrington at gmail.com, but the other Chris Harringtons of the world have not come to terms with this and so i get a ton of emails oh, really? for the other chris harrington's and so mostly it's innocuous no it's mostly innocuous stuff like there's a guy in the uk who orders domino's pizza and so i'll get the the pizza receipts and so it's always funny because it'll be things like uh texas cowboy barbecue pizza from domino's uk and things like that so those are not so bad, but then they'll be like, oh, let's raise money for grandma's 80th birthday in Australia. So those, you know, you feel bad because you, you don't know who this is trying to get to and you can't help them and you're not going to give them money. Um, and so there's that. But then you get the weird ones like uh, the worst is when it's like people trying to sell or buy a house. So you're getting all these really sensitive financial documents and you want to be like, that's not you're, you're sending these to random people. You're sending me their social security numbers and I have the same name as this person. So I could probably impersonate them now pretty easily. And then the worst one is like the weird ones, like one guy was getting a divorce. And so then I was getting all these divorce things and it's not like that's good or bad for me. But the problem is on my iPad, when it jumps up there and it says divorce papers here, you know, my wife gets a little nervous, you know, oh, seeing man. that, or wow. I got one yesterday for your conceal and carry permit is here. <laughs> and so I kept joking that, you know, someday they're going to go back and they're going to be like, Chris Harrington had this double life. Nobody knew about, look at all this stuff. And so there's that little piece of me that always wants to be like, you know what, just cause you find it on the internet tied to someone does not necessarily mean it was them. A lot of people can put your email address in for something else. And so it's everything from like, you know, I sound like a, I sound like a shill, but it's like, yeah, I've gotten weird Ashley Madison emails and things like that. And been like, that wasn't me. <laughs> like, I, I I know that's an easy excuse, but I think that's a, a, a very important thing to always remember with all these leaks that come out is just because someone's name is tied to something that does not necessarily mean they were the person that tried to put it there. So just a, a funny little little uh, snippet for me as I see this leaky Gabe. So, and then every now and then I'll get you know those weird ones where it's like someone is trying to log into your Twitter or someone is trying to do this or that, and you can never tell if it's it's malicious or just stupidity. So this account was deleted, I think, yesterday or last night or something. And I, I wonder if maybe if it was work, if they wanted, they were hoping that they would get even more buzz and get even more people to care about this. And I, I don't know of a single aggregator that picked this up. I know it made it to Reddit front page, but it didn't. It certainly didn't generate the uh, the talk that the first one did and maybe that was like oh it's not it's not getting us as much attention as we've thought so maybe they just said no, screw it let's just give up on this well and i mean i've gone through so many weird ex situations where i write an article and i think this is going to this is going to be nothing and it explodes and then i'll do a lot of work for an article and i can't get any buzz on it whatsoever and so there's some like magic terms that seem to do really well. Shane McMahon and CM Punk are probably my favorite two. If yeah. you could book Shane McMahon versus CM Punk in an MMA fight, which actually at this point I think would be a fair fight, um, <laughs> I think you could do an enormous amount of business once because that's just the kind of freak show thing where like that's just what people care about. But you know, you'll do something that's really you know intricate and, and delicate and say this is a really interesting analysis of anything from the network to financials to you know wow. subpoena law and it just gets nothing. So well, it's Scott Coker if you're listening. Yeah, next big match. So that's that's going to be my new uh, my new like million dollar idea is Shane McMahon versus CM Punk headline a show with that. 
here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Talk about um, other things. I, I thought you did a, a nice little thing in our, our document here talking about these Blu-ray uh, releases that were canceled. Uh, just because, yes. of course, uh, I'm always talking about my laser discs, and uh, this Blu-ray came up. So what happened with this, and how did we find out? So WrestlingDVDNetwork.com reported – this is a website that follows a lot of you know, W's video releases – so W is releasing a two DVDs, 1997 Dawn of the Attitude Era and NXT from Secret to Sensation. And they were going to release this on DVD format and Blu-ray. They've apparently canceled the Blu-ray. They're still uh, going to put out the DVD. Uh, but uh, this is this is the first I've heard of Blu-rays being canceled and sort of just a sign of the changing media landscape, right? And that uh, physical media, uh, much to your chagrin as a laser disc collector, uh, I mean, physical media is kind of fading away, and, and of course, the, all this stuff is getting cannibalized by the network when you can watch thousands and thousands of uh, WWE content as part of your nine ninety nine subscription. And and, uh, and that's a good example of, you know, that people sometimes say, is such and such a success, or is such and such a good idea? Like the WWE Network was a good idea. And the problem is you have to make a lot of assumptions about what was going to happen to a lot of different revenue streams at the same time. Some of this decline would have happened regardless. Exactly. So that's the challenge, right? So that you have to come up with what was the decline going to be? What was it actually? And then how much of this is is, uh, attributable? And at the same time, you also have to say, am I including all the right revenue streams? So like they sold a lot of internet pay-per-views. Well, those dollars never went in the pay-per-view bucket. They went in the digital media bucket. And so you, you, and home media was the easiest one to be like make sure you lump that in but for sure you can just look at best buy and um uh i was gonna say media play but they've been gone for a while but a lot of the other companies have published a lot saying look at our yeah look at our year over year declines in the sales of physical media and so it's not hard to say there was going down and netflix gutted the service in a lot of ways. But it's interesting to see this Blu-ray thing because normally we're used to saying, well, as technology evolves, we continue to trade up. But there is something to be said that Blu-rays might still per unit be more expensive for them to manufacture and reaches a smaller percentage of their audience versus DVDs. I bought a Blu-ray player specifically so I could watch the Paul Heyman Blu-ray. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I thought about buying a Blu-ray for a long time, but you know there really was no compelling reason for me to do it. And then when they came out with that, you know, uh, my name is Paul Heyman uh, Blu-ray set, and I thought, wow, there's going to be a lot of cool specials on here. This is going to be more. I'm going to go ahead and buy a Blu-ray, and it was largely because of that reason. So, so that's the difference between you and me. I, I think I ordered, ordered that on what's Walmart's thing, um, Voodoo. I watched it on VOD, and I paid like three or four dollars to watch it. Uh, on VOD. I don't think I've ever owned a Blu-ray player. I wanted all the specials, you know. I'm I'm I wanted to oh, see that yeah, WCW. Yeah, I want to see those AWA promos he was cutting and uh, all that other stuff. So again, I'm always about those the peripherals. Um not the making of or that kind of junk on a on a movie, but I like I like deleted scenes or just the can, weird stuff. Can you play stuff. a Blu-ray on a computer disc drive? I guess it probably depends on the kind of disc drive you got, huh? If you got a Blu-ray player in your computer, yeah, that's what it goes to. But it's interesting to see them scaling back because to me that's probably a production thing 
because a it's it's audience penetration of blu-ray was probably not as great as as what they figured their audience that's still buying dvds penetration is b um it's probably a little cheaper and then they also have less you know extras that you have to throw on not that i think extras are really that expensive in the era of the network where you are already blu-ray is hd and standard dvd is not but no, I think a DVD can – I think there's, you know, like Ultra HD or whatever, you know, like kind of that next level of, of video quality. For, for me as a consumer, like that just makes so, so little difference. Maybe just because I've been watching VHS for too long beforehand. But like a DVD is like, yeah, this is great. I, I don't need anything that much better than this. What if I told you there's something that's even larger called a Laserdisc? And, uh, oh my God. And it provides the exact same quality? It, it provides pretty good quality. I watched When We Were Kings, uh, inspired by our conversation from a few weeks ago from the game yeah. email of uh, we'll randomly fire someone just like Mbutu. And uh, the only thing that I don't Norman like Mailer about – Mailer tells that story, yeah. The only thing I don't like about the, um, the, the laser disc is that when you get to the end of the disc, it's kind of jarring where like you'll just stop. Like there's no like turn really? disc over anything. It's just like you're in the mid middle of something and it will just stop. Do you, you and then have to turn it over like a record? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> this, this blows your mind. <laughs> I kind of literally it. turn it over like a record. Yeah. I kind of love it, though, because it's like it's nice to, to watch a movie and then every 45 minutes kind of get up and move around a little bit and, you know, start doing intermission. Some yeah, exactly. They, they should they should play like the drive in intermission uh, video and then then cut it off. But um, you have some nice graphs here just about how much WWE entertainment, home entertainment was worth, where it was like 33 million back in 2012. And by 2016, it was down to 13 million. And what's funny is that's uh, I guess it's almost commensurate, right? Because they went from 3.8 units in 2012 down to about 1.6 units in 2016. So it's it's about commensurate on the value of the network of the home entertainment. I have said for a while that home entertainment is one of those deals that they make. Uh, that can actually have a big impact on them. So now I believe they're aligned with um, Warner Brothers for distribution on their their home entertainment side. But for years, they were aligned with another company. I think it was Ven- Vendendi. Um, and that relationship got really sour towards the end. Yeah, I was going to say, was there a lawsuit involved in that? No, but it was it was really unpleasant between the two companies. They did not like each other, and they were burying each other in their conference calls by the end. So it was clear that that wasn't getting along. And so they WWE in some ways got a better deal when they were done, where it was um, differences on things like the sell through rate and the value per disc and whatnot. And they kind of got a one time payment. Also, that helped them uh, at one point in their home entertainment revenue. So if you look at it, you'll see like a weird year where like I think the OBIDA is higher than it really should be for that segment. And that's because they got a weird one-time payment I think in 2014. Um, but I, The one thing I want to point out is W Home Entertainment's OIDA, which is a type of – a way of measuring profit I would say, right? From 2012 to 2013, that dropped almost in half. Uh, and this is before the W Network. So I – and we would should look at years prior to this to make a stronger argument. I, I would at, say I would say what would be more accurate is take 2013 and 2014 and combine them, because some there was some financial shifting going on between 13 and 14 is really what happened. What kind of financial shifting? It had to do with the specifics of that weird deal I was talking about with Vin Vendendi okay. and like a, a division. So it it okay. a lot of it has to do with when you're in the DVD business. You, you sell to like a wholesaler, you know, like a Best Buy or Walmart, and then there's a certain amount of discs that are actually going to get sold, and there's a certain amount that are going to go unsold. And different people have different deals around how much of that inventory cost do you have to take or do they have to take. 
So what happens is you can put a bunch of stuff in the inventory channel, but then if it doesn't sell through, you have to eat it, right? And so I think they changed their deal basically from one where one company had to eat it to a different company had to eat it. And so it changed their value per disc, but it also gave them more of a guaranteed revenue per disc that they moved out. Okay. So it, like I say, it got really complicated there for a while, and it wasn't a division thing that people looked at. But it's a great example of something where you look at it on paper and it tells one story. And if you weren't actually listening to the conference calls or reading the reports yeah. at the time, you don't realize, oh, they switched distributors. Oh, this company merged with this company and they changed this deal. Oh, this person went bankrupt and it caused this problem. So I, I really think it was a case where in 2014, they basically got the payoff that they they kind of deferred in 2013, if I recall. So would you say we should average those t- the, the 13 and the 14 numbers together? I think that would no, be one no way of looking at it. Now, yeah. I, I, so that, that would put, what, somewhere around 12, 12 million a week to, Yeah. So, like I that. mean, it was about a 50% margin business. And that's that was pretty consistent there up until about 2015 when it became more like a 30% margin business. But part of it was that WWE, I believe, was taking a lower risk because if you look at their unit per profit kind of measure, it was very different after a certain year and that's basically because they they transformed the way that they took that risk on and as i recall it was something like they didn't basically have to deal with the the units that didn't sell that they shipped mm-hmm. and they're still shipping quite a bit like there's there isn't a great correlation i think between units shipped there's somewhat but right like look they've their oida for the first half of 2017 is 1.7 million so if you double that that's like what 3.4 million uh but the new units that they've shipped is uh, – it's not down – what am I trying to say here? It's The, the units shipped are, are, are on track to – Their per penny profit is higher now, but it's not per unit, but it's actually a lower percentage of revenue because they went from almost a 50% to a 30%. And again, like I say, it had to do with – they made a new it, deal it look, with it Warner looks like Brothers. They're, they're shipping out a similar number of, of units, but they're not making as much money. Yeah, it, it, it transformed. Maybe that's the opposite of what I said a second ago. But yeah, it transformed. And, you know, they, they like the fact that they have these new deals because it's for things like Scooby-Doo. That's the value of the deal to them more than even who's moving their DVD. It's what's on that DVD and the fact that they realized they do better usually with those cartoons and whatnot than they do with their actual, um, you know, with their actual let's put 1997 Dawn of the Attitude on a DVD. And and that's an important thing. Scooby-Doo makes makes better for probably a gift for, for a kid or something like that. Exactly. Well, it's more about who is still buying this kind of physical media, and a lot of it is still geared very heavily. I actually did a very long um, survey with Warner Brothers this week. Uh, with like, they have this weird streaming service and like a DVD release thing where they'll send you a newsletter all the time about like what's new in our service. And then there was a link like, hey, do you want to take a survey? So I took this super long, boring survey with them. But it's interesting because it's pretty clear that they're thinking about you know putting their foot in the streaming game. And they were trying to figure out what it is that people want to look at. And they only had a few choices. And it was really focused on movies, kids' media, and sports. And news programming. Those were the four things that they were kind of like pushing on, which was really an unusual kind of foursome. But uh, it, it seemed kind of like that was what WB, what Warner Brothers was thinking about in terms of what their niche in the marketplace would be. And I think movies, of course, is always a strong niche, you know, when you have a huge back catalog. Um, that you have that ability to maybe leverage it. Kids programming is the other big niche you can do. Sports is a huge niche, but it's an incredibly difficult place to play. And obviously with ESPN and some other people getting into that space, I don't see Warner Brothers wanting to play with it. And the news media is such a weird space where I think there's an 
opportunity there, but mostly it's been in the fringe news, right? So it's been more the Alex Jones version of of news than it's been on the actual news news that people want to pay for. Yeah, I, I think things like the Scooby Doo DVD for WWE is is surviving the changes to the media landscape more than the the normal wrestling content because the normal wrestling content is more directed at wrestling fans who are likely to be subscribers of the WWE network. Whereas, you know, it was, but you know, I think in the last WWE studios report, they made a mention about how like the, one of the Scooby-Doo or the Flintstones ones underperformed versus the expectations they had. So I think what's good about those is that they can easily wholesale them. You know, they can sell cartoons on DVD really cheap when they want to get rid of them in a way that you can't always sell wrestling content cheap on a DVD just to get rid of them. I uh, uh, came across – so as I mentioned before, there's this like uh, website that when you get a survey from WWE, they send you to. It's like wweresearch.com and something like that. I, I don't remember if that's the exact site or not. I th- we talked about it in one of our shows very recently where I, I yeah. went through it. So I, I, you know, every now and then I'll do a Google search just to see if there's other ones that Google has archived that I can get to. And one was called the, T, the TN Bing Project. And so I was like, I don't want to see this. So it was a survey all in Chinese. And uh, through the magic of Google Translate, I translated the survey to see what it was. And um, basically, I was very disappointed because it, it had no questions about Tian Bing. Or there's one question that might be about him, but I, I couldn't tell. Um, did you translate this yourself? I did. I did. Okay. Okay. I, I sat there and, and pushed the button over and over again and made my own little uh, document on it. So uh, – I, I tweeted about this, so you can just go and click on my Twitter, and you'll see a, a TN Bing thing. Only about one person noticed, so <laughs> this is kind of a uh, exclusive for the podcast. They ask your age, they ask your gender, they ask how much money you make, um, and then, or I'm sorry, how what how much schooling you did, and then they ask your basically your thoughts on different sports. So there's tennis, there's racing, meaning like Formula One or the motorcycle championships, UFC, golf, NBA, cricket. What I think they mean by extreme sports. They kept mentioning GFW. GFW is very clearly mentioned. New Japan does not show up once in the survey. Just putting in perspective. Horse racing, NFL, cycling. I think they meant cycling. It was kind of unclear if they – I think they said like bicycling. So I assume they meant cycling. Um, basketball besides NBA, just like basketball in general. English football, meaning um, the actual leagues like Premier League, MMA in general. Boxing, then um, football or soccer, meaning – you know. Worldwide soccer, so like the China League, I assume, and then WWE. And it was essentially, what's your favorability on that? And then there's a similar one on like, what's your interest or how much attention do you pay to it, I think is what they were asking. It was basically on the same sports, um, from rugby to ex- extreme sports and whatnot. But again, no New Japan, just GFW being listed. Um, and then there was a is, question Is this about, Mandarin or what is this? Yeah, it was. Uh, they called it simplified Chinese, so I think it was a form of Mandarin. Yeah. Um, and then they asked, like, what is the last time you watched the programming on PPTV and then, like, did something else on the social channels? And then they asked, you know, when's the last time you saw WWE content, either online advertising or mobile phone or social media or on a bulletin board or oral communication magazine, the Internet, um, the official WWE channel, um, WeChat, microblogging, um, peripheral products like did you buy a DVD or a, a T-shirt? Uh, you've used the app. You've played our video games. And then there's one that says basically like um, what do you like about WWE? And it's just funny to see the translation of it all. You know, it's yeah. like I enjoy the spirit of entertainment. 
I like a variety of unique wrestling stunts. I lets people completely empty themselves, which <laughs> I think we would we would describe that as, you know, uh, gives me a, a fantasy world, a sense of detachment and that you can escape into maybe. Um, enjoy funny and exaggerated performances. I like the unpredictable plot or one is called narrow the distance to the children, which I would, I would probably translate more like as uh, brings me closer to my family because it gives me something to watch with them yeah. or makes me think of childhood. And then there's one that says, what do you not like about WWE? And the choices are like, it's out of date. It's too outrageous. The, the results are too easy to predict. The storyline and game are always repeated it adversely affects my child. Uh, I do not like the ring game. I do not like wrestling. It is too silly or tacky. It is um, too rough. It is too American culture, which I thought was actually, you know, that's a very strong thing that I could see people complaining about. It is false or untrue. So I assume that's what we would just say. It's fake. Um, it's a bad example. Uh, no one matches. I, maybe that might be that I don't like the matches or, or the matches are just not interesting to me. And then there's one that didn't translate at all. Too much 50-50 booking. <laughs> um, there's one that didn't translate at all and I, I need to probably go back and see if I can find what these characters show up on if I google them by themselves because it translated in, in google as like Teo Ben Zynik uh, and I, I don't think that works and the only thing I wonder if that said like Tai Bing and they were asking you is that a reason you don't like it is because you know we pushed one guy from China and you don't care for this one guy from China doesn't uh, the Jerome Kusan from um to be ponderings doesn't he uh, he's in, in china like teaching chinese or something maybe he could help you or the guy from uh international wrestling does the um podcast uh steven eyes from uh uh oh. with bahu yeah he he also lives in china and teaches english oh so, really wow. yeah so he would also be someone i could probably reach out to but I, I can probably just go back to the survey and click through till i get to this point and find those characters and then search for them and just see if maybe those characters um or the name of the wrestler, which would make sense then why it didn't translate to English, because, of course, it's just a random name they gave this guy. Um, so I would just be kind of curious about that. And then um, they asked, you know, what kind of uh, when you watch TV or the Internet to play a video, what do you like to watch? And the choices are, are just kind of entertaining because they're a little bit more. They're kind of what we have in the U.S., but there's maybe one or two that are different. One was TV series. One was news, documentary, comedy, travel holiday program. So, you know, we have a lot of travel programs, science fiction program. Sure. Um, sports, cooking program, news program, home decoration, renovation program. Sure. The film, so movies. Uh, and then one was called the intelligence contest. Um, I don't know whether that's more game show is what that means or if they actually have like trivia, you know, like is it Jeopardy or is it something else or is it like um, QI where, you know, there's there's uh, the UK has has its own form of kind of intelligence trivia game shows that are very different than what we have in the US. So I was just uh, uh, very amused by just all those choices. And that essentially was the I, end I like that name, intelligence contest. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm going to say is our, you know, yeah. what what are we? We are an intelligence contest. Yeah, we should and, have some sort of intelligence contest with some uh, prizes. You know, I I actually I've I can give away a Chris Jericho book. The uh, the publicist Ooh. for him has keeps bugging me to do it. Oh so, really? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe I will uh, uh, challenge our listeners. Uh, email wrestlenomics at gmail dot com. Uh, whoever can guess to the closest the number of wrestlers. That were on the payroll for WWE in the year, pick a year. 1998. 1998. Wow, you're well, going to make... 
Because that would be – I feel like that's when they've got a lot of people okay. under contract. Right? So the, let's let's say the number of wrestlers that um, were on the payroll in theory in 1998, whoever's the closest to whatever I decide is the bar uh, will get – We'll get, in fact, a copy of Chris Jericho's book. No, is, is this like the Price is Right? Can you go over, or is, or is it just under? Uh, you can go over. Uh, integers only, please. So, uh, and uh, like I said, I've I've left the question very oddly vague uh, because, like Chris Jericho's book, it might disappoint you uh, in the end when you discover that the truth is not really what we were looking for. Um, but yeah, so we will give that away, and uh, I will email. Uh, the publicist, and then hopefully the publicist will send you that book. So if you don't get the book, it's because they finally actually listened to my review and uh, did decided not to reward us. But um, so anyway, so this was just a fun little survey uh, that I found uh, that they had done about China. And so what I'm really curious is is on an upcoming WWE conference call or investors conference, are we going to see another example where they kind of tout out, kind of like they did in that Wall Street Journal article, some WWE network in China statistics about, you know, our people do this and, and they love this about us. And uh, I'll be very curious to see if we start hearing any more on WWE in China because it was such a big talking point for them for so long. It's now happened and it's like, you know they don't really have any financial results that are going to show that they're blowing the the doors off right now. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see at what point are the investors going to kind of be like we've been had, or are they just going to be like ah excellent show us more of your fake data? We're really into these you know, uh, thirty million people in China want to watch WWE on a weekly basis and they just can't. And we have no idea why it's called the Tan Bing. Research in China survey. There's another version. Um, there's kind of like two versions, and the other one I think was just called like China Research or something like that. So I just kind of imagine that they 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 gave Tan Bing a uh, homework assignment, and that he this is what he's been doing in the uh, in the performance center for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I, you know, I guess it's around the fact that they're going to be pushing. You know, the whole idea of Tan Bing is is their big star, and they signed all those other Chinese stars. So in some ways, the entire investment was the Tan Bing project. Um, he he. Maybe that this internally, that's just what they call the entire China investment. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe Tan Bing against Jinder Mahal at the main event of WrestleMania if Great Khali is not available. Yeah. Well, they're already doing a couple interesting ones. The, the Jinder Mahal, of course, is going to be in the India show. And then on the same day of the India show, they're doing one in Dubai. Right. And uh, in that show, they're obviously not going to have Jinder because he's going to be in India. So who is who's wrestling in that show? I don't know. Do you? Yes, it's in the document somewhere. I just have to find it. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I threw it in. What do you um, got here is W's going to Abu Dhabi on twelve seven. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe not. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see. Uh, just I, I guess I was just really. It's, it's probably the SmackDown roster, right? Because the the India stuff is just raw with gender. Yeah, but that's. It seems tough to send both of them to such a similar areas. Um, that's a lot of people that you're tying up to to send to the same area of the world. Is that going to be over a TV taping time? Let's see. This is the Thursday, so maybe they can make it to to. Uh... Yeah, it'll probably it'll probably work out then for them. But I, I just thought that was really interesting that you know you wouldn't use gender in Abu Dhabi, which I would have thought since they did their India tryout in Abu Dhabi that they recognized that that was probably not a bad hub for them to also kind of draw from, and so. Uh, you know, we, we've seen other examples where, you know, Rey Mysterio was left off something and you'd be like, of course, he should be on that tour and they just don't put him there. So whether or not that really hurts their ability to draw in Abu Dhabi, which sometimes is a paid show anyways, um, who knows? We do know in, in New Delhi, they're doing two shows in New Delhi on what is the 7th and the 8th of December. Yeah. And we know that uh, Jinder is going to be facing 
Kevin Owens on, I forget which day, but uh, that suggests to me that they're going to have Jinder be a face in India. And oh, Kevin absolutely. Owens, Kevin Owens is the heel there. Yeah. That actually would probably be a fun match just to see the footage from. Yeah, just, I'm sure somebody's going to capture it. Yeah, and, and I think it will be great, you know, just to see that. It will be a hot crowd. Yeah, it will be really be, interesting to see how they react to him. And, and, and we'll, Kevin, Kevin's smart, right? You know, he can yeah. do he can work a match like that in a way that's going to be fun to make him a super heel. Yeah, should be very interesting. We talked a little bit about the MLW show, um, probably last week's podcast on the uh, patron only section. And uh, I just thought I would mention that it drew about 274 fans. It did have Ricochet, Tony Schiavone doing some commentary, MVP, Sammy Callahan, Tom Lawler, Jeff Cobb. Um, I, without being close to it and knowing that they're going to continue on with the brand, I would call that a little bit weaker than I would have expected for something that MLW has, you know, pretty good radio prop presence and they spend obviously some money on some stars and not just old stars like you know mvp is one thing but you know i think jeff cobb and tom lawler and and ricochet those are guys that you know are bankable people on the indies right now do we know what they were charging for ticket prices i don't remember no so i i just thought you know obviously they wanted to do an mlw comeback it sounds like you know court bauer wants to be doing this now and he's interested in it so glad that they're going to continue on but in terms of the payoff it seems like it would be tough to pay for a show with only 274 knowing, you know, you guys probably ESW sometimes can draw more than that. Right. Yeah. Usually, I mean, our, our good shows have drawn upwards of 400 in our fire hall. And then we go to, we've been to another venue. I think our, our record is like 900 or something like that. Yeah. So this might've been a nightclub. That's a little bit nicer in terms of the setup, but not necessarily uh, more people. So uh, just be interesting to see if they had run the show somewhere else in the U.S., whether maybe it would have drawn better. Maybe Orlando is just not a great market for this, considering, you know, NXT is bringing all these guys on the road all the time, and they're lucky to draw 200. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame is under investigation by local police after discrepancies were found in financial records. When the board members discovered them, they all resigned. Um, I think this is the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in Texas. Is this one? Uh, when the you... Wrestling Hall of Fame in Texas? Yeah, yeah. How, I how many to... Wrestling Hall of Fames are there? I know there's yeah. the one in New York, there's the one in Iowa, Waterloo, right? And there's one in Texas? Yeah, I talked about this on a show several shows ago because I talked about the trademark filings and how I came across some weird stuff. And then um, – because they were using like the world-class logo and it was the same people that owned it. Like I, I was really biz- – I was thought it was really strange that they were the ones using the world-class logo instead of uh, WWE and that they were trying to register like merchandise with it. Oh, yeah. So I, it seems like it's the same group and so maybe there was some improprieties going on or just you know spending money in a way that was not a not a WrestleNomics uh, fan approved. So I'm really curious. Like what, what are the – especially that there's so many of them. Like what are the future of these Hall of Fames? I feel like the, the demographic is, is quite old. And I wonder, as time goes on, are are people who are younger now going to uh, go to these Hall of Fame ceremonies and and, and whatnot? Are you, you know what I mean? Like, and especially but, when you think about what, how, how old the demographics are for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, is is this just an, a generational thing is that uh, the younger generation of wrestling fans is going to pick up? Well, what a great thing for workers to invest in, right? Because what's better than a pro wrestling hall of fame that in itself is both a work and a con to get money out of people. Like what is more pro wrestling than that? 
So, no, I don't think all of them are going to survive. I think like so many other, you know, tiny little museums or things, they're eventually going to fold and they go into someone's attic and then they either sit there or somebody else buys all the assets and moves it somewhere else. Or eventually WWE comes in and says, hey, I'll go through this. I'll take it. And then it goes into their warehouse and we never see it again. Or um, WWE has discussed, I think Triple H has discussed the idea of doing a physical Hall of Fame, but they sure. don't want it to be necessarily a a building somewhere, but something that they could tour around with. And we've seen contradictory things on this because we've also heard from Universal Studios many times that maybe they wanted to build a Hall of Fame and put in one yeah. of their wings. And, yeah, you know, and that, that, that's something that's been discussed as a, a possibility if W ever uh, sells to a larger entity that something like a Universal Studios or a Disney, some some someone who has a theme park that they could put a W Hall of Fame in. Yeah. And what's funny is um, – my my buddy does arcade games from the turn of the century on through like the 50s. So he he does like really, really old arcade games, like mechanical games that we don't really see anymore, all the way up through like pinball. But he manuf- he um, refurbishes them. He buys them. He sells them. He, in some cases, actually recreated them from the original plans. And so talking to him, what he would say to me is that, you know, every guy out there who has like 15 pinball machines goes out and says, I'm going to start a pinball museum. And the thing is, they always collapse. And then because there's no funding, there's no way to go and see them. There's nobody, you know, contributing new things. And there's not usually a very large market besides the other collectors of people that go and see this stuff. And so my buddy was basically saying, I want to donate my stuff, but I want to donate it to a company or a, a facility that I think is actually going to keep this and not in five years, give up on this idea and throw it away. And I don't want to do one of these rinky dink museums. And I don't want to do one of these, you know, big museums that might just be doing a video game exhibit, but he doesn't really know what to do with, you know, real stuff when I have, you know, original correspondence or documentation from turn of the century about gaming. So he's thought a lot about donating it to the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester because that is one of the few museums that has really made a big effort to kind of record the history of gaming um, on a much more granular level than a lot of these kind of flash in the pan video game exhibits that have come and gone over the years. And they have a lot of toys and and they're really into that sort of thing. And so I was trying to kind of sell him on that idea, not only because that's my hometown, but because I think they would actually be able to do something with a lot of the stuff that he he's talking about donating to them. So um, it, you see that with every collector's niche where people think, hey, if I just start a Hall of Fame or a blank, people are going to want to come and see it. And most of the time it ends up just in someone's attic within a few years. Yeah. Let me um, – Ask you about um, what can you tell me on the Conor McGregor coming to WrestleMania? Do you think it's going to happen? Well, Dana White says no. There was a story in the Sun from the UK saying that he was close to a deal to appear at WrestleMania uh, in 2018. The article I, I, is is the Sun not the most uh, credible source? Do you have any context? Uh, I, I think that a lot of this is kind of like the New York post of, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the, uh, I think the guardian would be a lot more respectable than the sun. So this, um, this article cites a single anonymous source that says, this is something we all, he's always wanted to do. He being Conor McGregor this time, it looks like a deal is going to be locked into place. So a day or two after that, Dana White appeared on the, uh, the Fox affiliate in New York city. And uh, this is Thursday, and he said it's not true. It's absolutely not true. And he showed the the host or the person who was interviewing him on his phone. He, he showed him uh, or her texts from Vince McMahon himself, where Vince supposedly says 
that's news to me and it might be good someday but not right now and you know again it's pretending that both of these organizations funnel everything through their two figureheads right that there could certainly be backdoor talks where you know somebody in UFC it's very possible that someone just doesn't know what Vince just doesn't know what Triple H is up to. <laughs> but uh, moreover, I don't think that they're necessarily able – you know, of course Conor McGregor says, hey, I would love to work for WWE. And the same way Conor McGregor said, hey, I'd love to go boxing and hey, I'd love yeah. to, to be you know, the richest man in the world. Conor and McGregor – You should keep in mind too, I think Dan White is kind of infamous for denying things that end up being true. Like I think he probably made some denials about um, – Brock Lesnar. You're right. And and maybe even the Connor and Mayweather fight, we would have to go back. But I think he's, you know, made denials about that as well or, or sort of downplayed the idea. Yeah, exactly. So the, so I, I think, you know, um, Carney's going to con, right? They, they, of course, they're going to say that's not happening. I Up until when Ronda Rousey showed up at WrestleMania, I would have always been like, nah, that's not going to happen. But now, yeah. you know, it opens the door because you suddenly realize – there is this loophole for something that is a lot less than a wrestling match and is a lot more than just a come and say wave to the fans, right? Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. physical confrontation that is something in the middle, the Mickey Rourke style, if you will, where you're not doing a match, but you might punch someone out after the show. Yeah. So, uh, or what Gronk did or someone else. So I, I don't think it's impossible. I do think, you know, they're, they are investing pretty heavily in this four horsewoman angle and it, has some return on value for them, not necessarily a ton of return of value. So I think Ronda Rousey is a big deal. And I don't think, I think uh, Shayna is great for wrestling as a wrestler. I don't think she has any mainstream viability. That's really going to make a big deal. And the other two women, you know, the fact I call them the other two women says how important they are. Um, but Jessamyn Duke and I don't remember the other one. Marina uh, something maybe. Yes, that sounds right. Um, but Marina just had a, a child, right, uh, with uh, Roderick Strong. We're coming up on Survivor Series here, and, uh, you know, I don't know. Was, was the Four Horsemen versus Four Horsemen match even something that was really on the table? Yeah. Same with, um, you know, they're talking about doing Brock versus Jinder at yeah. a Survivor Series, which to me, again, Non-title. goes back to the Brock versus Strowman and Cena versus Reigns, where it feels again like, are they trying to pop a network number? I don't know that that's the match to do it. <laughs> well, I think it it is and it isn't. So you're right. Maybe it'll get those India subs, though. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, like it, to me, it's like, is it the biggest match you can do with Jinder Mahal? It's, right, maybe it's somebody sitting back saying, all right, we haven't quite hit the India subs yet, which, by the way, we don't know if that's true or not because we don't have any real data to tell us that. But maybe it's somebody sitting back, you know, I don't know, we haven't really done as well in India with this Jinder Mahal thing as we want to. But, all right, what's the biggest match we can give Jinder Mahal? Brock Lesnar. And also, we have a timetable on Brock Lesnar, and we don't know what he's going to do. We 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 think we know because he's forty something years old, and you know Dana White said recently that he's with WWE through August. And again, some people thought maybe that has something to do with um, either his merchandising contract is different than his his television contract, or it has to do with ninety days t- past his last day with the company. I believe the speculation before was that he would be done after WrestleMania, so let's April 
plus it, three months is like July. Yeah, so I guess, that, I guess it could be August. Yeah, I mean, do I think that Dana White has in his head, or we don't even know if it's really April? You know, what if it runs out May first is really yeah. what the deal is, and then that sure. means all of May, all of June, all of July, and August is when you could he would stop being with WWE. I I, I think it's easy to get granular when these guys are getting interviews because they're not de- depositions. You know, it's right. them talking off the cuff. Hell, he's showing text messages from Vince McMahon. They're, they're not open, open, opening up a folder and looking through the contract to get the yeah. exact number. Yeah, so so it's intriguing to me just all that stuff to see um, that it does in some way feel a little bit like you know, hey, you got into w, you got into China, you're already in India, you are pushing these dream matches now, and still. Are you making money off of, you know, kind of hotshotting this stuff? And is there a world of hotshotting? Does it matter anymore? You know, do you have to save it or should you be saving it? I, I don't know. I, I would argue it's possible that Jinder versus Cena's would actually be bigger than Jinder versus Brock just because Jinder versus Brock is hard to take serious. Where at least Jinder versus Cena, you could see them actually making that into a real angle with the the titles and going somewhere. So I, th- I think there's something to you know let's let's do the biggest matches let's do a big match uh right now rather than just coasting un- until our destination at wrestlemania or whatever yeah, you know? yeah and that's why i say like, maybe it's a and, new and world the, and the, yeah and the thought is you're not going to do a Jinder versus brock match anyway unless you do it right now i mean not that not that i think Jinder mahal is, is a has been a great success but um you know i think there's something to Let's make these mat- these pay-per-views as big as we can make them right now rather than just coasting. Yeah, so I think it's a fascinating kind of tweak and if you, to their and you pay-per-view think about it, look, look at that Look at that uh, SmackDown roster. Like, who else is he going to face if he's all done with Nakamura? Like, who's the, t- who's the big baby face that's left for uh, Jinder Mahal to go with? Asuka and Drag. Bobby Roode. Uh, AJ Styles. I don't know. You're right. I agree. It, it's and so that's it, it's an intriguing situation they're putting themselves in. Again, you could argue it's a great example of uh, how a brand split crumbles. Right? Is that oh, you start saying oh, I'm just going to do this one-off thing where I put this guy versus this guy, and it's going to be exciting. And the next thing you know, you're doing okay. This is one show where these guys are going to be together, and then it's the yeah. one pay-per-view, and then you know it just it, it breaks down the overtime. But I don't, I don't really see that as a, as an economic detriment. Like, um, I think as long as you have SmackDown having generally its exclusive roster and having storylines and angles. Uh, that I can't see elsewhere because like you look at SmackDown before the brand split and it was a totally missable show. You know, there, there really wasn't any storyline advancement. You would see all the same talent. In fact, you would see less talent because Cena never worked SmackDown. So as long as there's enough of a separation to make SmackDown relevant, I think that gives SmackDown a viewership boost that it wouldn't have otherwise. I've always, even if you're doing, you know, even if you're mixing and matching, even if you're putting Renee Young on both shows and even if you're doing uh, SmackDown versus raw matches on, certain pay-per-views i don't think it has a detriment on viewership i think it has a detriment on creative quality because eventually what happens is that you stop investing in it as two different brands and this is kind of the this is the 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 diet cheat to me is that you know (laughs) you're this is this is where you're just like well i'm gonna do two cheat days in a row and then i'll do legs for five days you know it's like you're just doing one little thing thinking that you can get away with it because it's not going to be that detrimental but i i do actually think it begins to to crumble your ability to create the um 
the firewall between the two brands and the the vision you have where, you know, suddenly the Bludgeon Brothers are going to be knocked off SmackDown every week because they have to get I'm, one I'm Ross. I'm only going to do heroin on Saturdays and yeah. all the other days I'll behave. But and it's a small thing. And it's not like I ever really thought the brand split would be 100 percent split. And also, I love the fact that it's a Survivor Series that they're actually trying to make that a a, a tent pole that matters. I'm glad that it's not, you know, being I'm glad it's being done at the at the branded the the dual branded pay-per-view and not just a random pay-per-view but it it does give me that pause that says i don't think they're going to be able to keep this brand split up for three years at this rate because they're already beginning to go to the well so um my legal updates really quickly uh bagwell levy that's the royalties lawsuit uh if you recall from my earlier discussions the they're in a big fight because bagwell and levy switched over who their uh, lawyers were when uh, a certain lawyer left and they went to a new firm called the Bruno firm. And part of this has been this big argument over the old firm, the Krislov associates never gave all the papers and emails and all that stuff to the new firm. Like they said they would like the court said they should. And they said it was because they were afraid they were never going to get paid. And so they were basically, um, uh, Brandon Layden, who was the associate person who used to work for the Krislovs, uh, Krislovs and then left and then kind of triggered a lot of the reason that that the Bagwell and Levy didn't want to work with them anymore. Um, he filed this document basically saying, well, we think you should have to escrow all the money that you get, including some money up front so that nobody can basically dip into it before we get paid. And uh, the for those of us who are, aren't homeowners, what exactly is escrow? Basically, it would mean somebody else is going to hold on to the money that you can't touch it. So if you um, like on the dark web <laughs> on Silk Road, if you wanted to buy drugs, you wouldn't necessarily send the money to the drug dealer. What you would do is you would send the money to an escrow account to something that would hold it. And then basically both sides would have to say, yes, I, I, I received the money. And then the other side would say, I received the stuff. And then when they said, I received the stuff, then the money would be released to the person who sent it. So think of it as so a th- if you want to make an online drug deal, listen to WrestleNomics Radio and we just explain <laughs> all that to you. So escrowing the fees. So basically the idea being that the, the lawyers want to get the money that in fact, some other thing would get the money in this when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 